We are here in the middle of the 29th juz. For those of you who may not be aware, we actually did the first half of the 29th juz last weekend in a different city. And now we are here doing the middle of the 29th juz today, Surat al-Jinn. The incidents of the revelation of the surah is as follows. That as we have done in several passages in Quran al-Kareem before, and as Sayyidina Rasulullah explained in the hadith, number one is jinn is a separate creation for humanity. And jinn is made of, the jinn are made of fire. By fire it means that they are made of the elements of fire, but they have a bodily shape. Second, the jinn were made before insan. That's why Iblis, Azazil, Iblis, later to be known as Shaitan, he was invited by Allah Subhanahu to be present to witness the physical creation or rather presentation of Sayyidina Adam to the angels. Even in the time of Iblis, they were good jinn and they were bad jinn. How were they good and bad? Well, if the jinn existed before insan, then it means the jinn existed before all of the anbiya. After the beginning of insan, then good jinn or bad jinn are classified based on whether they follow the Nabi or not. But before the creation of insan, on what basis were jinn good and bad? Allah Ta'ala knows best. But this is something the jinn themselves are going to, one group of jinn is going to mention over here, that there were some good of them and there were some bad of them. Second, one power and ability that Allah subhanahu wa has given the jinn. You see, every creation has a different power. There are certain animals on earth who can run faster and wider than us, who can swim deeper and longer than us. There are certain animals on earth that can see a wider range of colors than us. The jinn are that creation that have been given a wider range of travel than us. Allah Ta'ala knows best how wide that range is. But it seems that they have been given the widest possible range of travel because they can travel all the way up to the frontier of the physical universe and they used to be able to listen and eavesdrop on the angels in the angelic realm. A few days ago, a few days in terms of a few series, days ago in this series, there was discussion that Allah SWT then appointed some of the stars in the universe to be means by which these jinn were repelled away when they would try to eavesdrop on the angels in their angelic realm. However, it also happens that sometimes the angels cross from the angelic realm into the known physical universe to do something that Allah Ta'ala has asked them to do, such as, for example, the angels of death who assist the master angel of death, angel Israel. They come into this world and they come into the known physical universe and then they come to planet Earth and they take a person's soul. And sometimes the angels, when they are coming or going from this realm back into the angelic realm, even when they're in this realm, they talk to one another. So what used to happen? All of this from the time of Sayyidina Adam until the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. Allah subhanahu wa had not set any restrictions on the travel of the angels, or on the travel of the jinn. They could travel anywhere in the realm, and they could travel right up to the frontier, the border of this known physical universe and angelic realm, 
and eavesdrop on what the angels said on that side. And they used to also sometimes listen to what the angels would say when they had crossed over into this realm. And, and what the angels used to do is that the evil jinn, the disbelieving jinn, they used to have fun with humanity in the following way. And this has been mentioned earlier in Quran and also uh, I will mention some hadith in the Sahih Bukhari to you that the jinn used to eavesdrop on the discussions of the angels and sometimes they would get to know that something was going to happen. So if there were certain human beings on earth, you can call them fortune tellers, you can call them diviners, you can call them amil, and you can call them amil. And so the jinnat would go to such people and sometimes they would tell them something they had heard. So then the amil would then be able to tell other people something that was technically knowledge of something yet to come. And then it would happen, a lot of people would have faith in that human fortune teller. However, sometimes the jinnat used to mix lies with that truth. Sometimes they would tell the truth to the fortune teller. The fortune teller would mix lies with that truth. One reason to do that is to keep the customer coming. If you know the whole truth and you're sincere, then you would tell them everything. But you tell them some ambiguous version of the truth or partial truth to keep them coming. So either way, there were some lies from that side, some lies from this side. One of the many, many miracles of the revelation of Quran and the sending of prophethood upon Nabi wasallam is that Allah SWT decided to close the access of the jinn. And number one, then the jinn were forbidden to travel to the frontier and listen in onto the angelic realm. And then you have seen, Allah Ta'ala mentioned shortly in Quran, earlier in Quran that He would send pieces of fire because stars are also made of fire and fire is repelled with fire. So because the jinnat are made of fire, then pieces of the stars would be dispatched by Allah SWT to send them away from the frontiers of the universe. How the jinnat realized that this had happened. And also the notion is that some good jinn used to listen to these things for good purposes and with good intentions. So the jinnat were surprised that in the entire history of their race, which again predates the history of humanity, they were no longer able to listen to these things. So then what happened was that the jinnat started traveling. And they traveled the length and breadth of this world, of planet Earth, to see can we discover any reason. Why is it that Allah SWT has no longer allowed us to listen? So this is the deed that is mentioned in Sahih Bukhari's Kitab al-Tafsir in relation to the Surah, Surah al-Jinn. That there were a group of jinn, who, many groups of jinn were traveling all over Earth. And one of the groups of jinn arrived at a place called Nakhla, which is in Hijaz, which is in the Arabian Peninsula. And it so happened that Sayyidina and a group of Sahaba were in that place, Nakhla, and it was time for Fajr Salah. And Sayyidina led the Sahaba in Fajr Salah. And Fajr Salah is a salah in which the Quran is recited out loud. So the Jinnat, they heard Quran al-Kareem. When they heard Quran al-Kareem, they listened very intently and they realized that this is that miraculous thing. Now what does that mean? So Jinnat were people who had a history, a knowledge of that history. And Allah Ta'ala knows best how long jinn live. But the overall feeling that you get from different hadith that talk about them is that their lifespan is longer than that of you and I. How long it is, Allah Ta'ala knows best. Alright? 
Why am I saying this? Because you also have notion of some Sahaba jinn. What does Sahaba jinn mean? Does it mean any of the Sahaba were jinn? Means some jinn were also Sahaba. Does it mean any of the 124,000 human Sahaba were jinn? But it means that some of the good jinn took iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah And this is that surah that is going to tell you about some of those jinn who become Sahaba in the sense that they have become mu'mineen, muslimin, they have iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah their reports of later generations meeting them, which suggests that they live longer than 70-80 years. Here, so a group of this jinn were listening to Qur'an al-Kareem, and then they realized, so perhaps it means they realized that nothing like this has ever been revealed, they realized that this is something that is so true, they realized that this is, maybe they had heard that one day the angels would bring a revelation to humanity due to which then their eavesdropping of the angels will be sealed off. Allahu Alam, but the hadith continues in Bukhari that they realized this was Quran, this Quran that they heard was the reason why they are no longer able to overhear the angels and then they return to whatever must have been jinn headquarters and they said a whole series of things to their fellow jinn and that is actually Allah SWT on this surah has narrated the words of that group of jinn who heard the Quran from Sayyidina Rasulullah what they told to the rest of the jinn the very first uh, verse in the surah verse 1 is actually the Prophet said so say my beloved Nabi Karim uhiya ilayya that it has been revealed to me that indeed nafrum min al-jinn so a group from the jinn annahu stama'a that indeed they have deeply listened sama and istima so istima that they have listened intently and attentively to the revelation that has been revealed to the Prophet faqalu and Allah Ta'ala revealed to the Prophet that those jinn have said now quote and then the rest of the passage is going to talk about what it is that the jinn have said Alright, then in another hadith that is in Bukhari and Muslim, once a Sahaba, uh, once the Prophet was addressing a group of Sahaba, and he was explaining to them in response to the question about some fortune tellers who are alive at their time, who were telling things that turned out to be true and accurate, so Sayyidina Rasulullah told them that they are nothing. Then that group told, asked the Prophet ﷺ that no, but their, their predictions are turning out to be accurate. What they speak comes out to be truly. So then the Prophet ﷺ said that that will be a statement that a jinn has snatched up or has gathered and whispered into his associate's ear. Just as a fowl or poultry pecks at food. But then he, can, he then mixes it with over a hundred lies. So if this was true at that time, you can imagine that it is true for the people who so-called call themselves Amil of today. Another reason Bukhari, the Prophet said that when the angels descend to the clouds, which means when they enter into this realm, which is, puts them within the range of the jinns, and if any of them discuss any decisions Allah Ta'ala has entrusted them to carry out, that the jinn overhear it and they pass it on to the fortune tellers who had many lies to their information. Alright? So these are some hadith from Bukhari and Muslim that talk about jinn. Now we can return to this passage of Quran. So first thing they said that Inna Samitna Quran and Ajaba. 
Here Quran is used in this lexical sense means indeed that we have heard a most astounding recital, a wondrous recitation. Means Quran al-Karim. Yahdi ila rushdi. And this recitation that we've here has it points, it it, it guides us to right guidance. Fa'amanna bihi and therefore we took iman in it. So this is the proof that these jinn became what we would call Sahaba Ikram. They've taken Iman and Quran and they took Iman obviously in the Nabi salam from whom they heard that Quran. And we shall never ever associate anyone with our Rabb henceforth. This suggests that perhaps they were mushrikeen amongst the jinn before or they had believed in other powers before. That indeed, then our Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Rabb for his status is Ta'al, is most high, most exalted. Jandun, he is transcendent and he is majestic. Mattakhada sahibatan wala walada. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not taken any mate, sahibata. Sahibatan means any female mate. You could say he's never taken a spouse, mate, never taken a wife. Wala walada, nor has he ever taken a child. This again suggests that the jinnah knew some of the false beliefs of false religions, either the false belief of Christianity that Allah had taken the child, or the false belief of some of the idol worshippers whose gods used to have wives and spouses, such as many of the Hindu gods in their mythology have a lot of spouses. That indeed they are in fact ignorant and foolish of amongst us, fools amongst us who used to speak in a matter which was shatata, which means that transgressed the limits which was in, inappropriate and against the dignity and grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? He said you, they used to say extremely absurd things that went against the grace and dignity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa anna, and we this group of jinn and we always used to think that no human and no jinn could ever ever lie or speak falsehood concerning Allah SWT. Means that perhaps this was a very innocent or sweet or sincere group of jinn that they used to believe everything they had heard every human or every jinn say. Right? But now after hearing Quran al-Kareem they realized that they could not believe everything that they could say. Then in verse 6 they mention And indeed there were those individual human individuals from the human being who used to resort and seek protection specifically from men from the jinn. And these jinn they only increased the pressure on them to become unjust and they only increased them in rebellion. They only increase them in rebellion, transgression, arrogance. So what does it mean? So this suggests that the jinn also have gender, that they are men from the jinn and they are women from the jinn. It also suggests that at least initially, they were evil male human beings who were seeking refuge and protection in the evil male jinns. But those evil male jinns did not give them any protection or any refuge, but rather they just increased the pressure on them to become rebellious and arrogant. And they used to think as you think, in other words, they are addressing their other jinn now, that those human beings used to think like, oh you, you other jinn think, 
resurrect or raise again any single one. And we tried uh, and we searched and we sought to reach the heavens and the firmaments, but we weren't able to reach it, right? So what did we found? We found it muli'at harasan. Haras is the plural of haris, dharaban dharib. Haras, full of guards, full of sentries, shadidan, who are extremely strong and powerful. You can also say stern and fierce. And we also found flaming fires, flaming flames, which again means the shooting stars that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had mentioned would attack them. So they're mentioning, right, that this is what we used to do. And we used to take up positions and sit in those places where we used to be able to listen, the places upon which listening and eavesdropping would take place. But whoever so tries to listen and eavesdrop now in those places will find one of those flaming fires, shooting stars, not necessarily the scientific phenomenon of shooting stars, some ulama felt that's what it was, but not necessarily some fragment that will be detached from a star and will flame itself for them, and they will find that aimed at him and lying in ambush for them. Okay, so now they've mentioned all of this through the group of jinn and now they're going to say about this teaching that they heard from Sayyidina Rasulullah um, that they don't know, they cannot predict the future as to whether everyone on earth, the human beings on earth are all going to listen. And we have no idea whatsoever, we ourselves don't know whether ill and evil is intended for those on earth or whether their Rabb, whether Allah SWT intends true and guidance and direction for them. And we don't know which way they're going. Maybe this means they also saw that there were many disbelievers at this time. And we know they're addressing their other jinn and oh our fellow jinn, we know that amongst us are those who are salihun and from amongst us those they are those who are otherwise meaning not salihun. Kunna taraika kidra and then we are indeed uh and then we are indeed of different ways and divergent paths. However, But we, after they've taken Iman, they're saying that we know that we, can, we will never be able to escape Allah Taala on earth. We will never be able to thwart Allah Taala's plans on earth. And we shall never be able to thwart Allah Taala or escape Allah Taala by fleeing away from Him. So that's why Therefore as soon and when we heard the Hidayah, the guidance, then we believed in it. We took Iman as soon as we heard it. And 
and that person who believes in their Rabb, and whosoever will take this belief in their Rabb, they will never ever have any fear upon them. They will have no loss nor oppression to fear. What does it mean? So now they're doing da'wah on the rest of the jinn, explaining why they took iman, and they're telling them that if anybody believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will have no fear of any loss, and it can be loss in their amal or loss in their sawab, and they have no fear of excess or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them in any way. It can also mean they have no fear of their rights or graces being withheld in any way, nor do they have any fear, fear of any oppression or harm in any way. And indeed now some of us are Muslimun. And this could be the formal name. Maybe they're formally saying capital M Muslims. Or they mean it in genetic way that we are devoutly submission. We are in devout submission to Allah SWT. And some of us are Qasitun means some of us are unjust. Some of us are unjust oppressors, meaning we, especially in this, that when it comes to the question of iman, we take an unjust decision and we choose not to accept iman. فَمَنْ أَسْلَمَ فَأُولَاكَ تَحَلُّوا رَشَدًا And that person who submits devoutly or who accepts the deen of Islam, then surely that person has sought out and striven for the path of rushd, for the path of integrity and guidance. وَأَمَّا الْقَاسِتُونَ and as for those who were unjust and oppressors and denied this iman, then indeed they will be khataba, they will be the fuel for the fire of Jahannam. Alright, here ends the statement of the group of jinn to the rest of the jinn. And Allah subhanahu wa revealed all of this to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why? One aspect of this was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to give Sayyidina Rasulullah some tasalli that there are some human beings who are so unjust that no matter how much dawah you're making on them they won't accept. And there's yet another creation of mine who are known as jinn that some of them are so sincere that they heard you recite just amount of Quran and Fajr and they have taken such a level of iman in you that they have gone back to the rest of their community and they're doing da'wah in their community and inviting them to take iman in me, Allah SWT, and in you, my beloved Messenger wasallam. There's no mention anywhere in any textual sources that I'm aware of of the numbers here. But nafar, the word Allah is using called nafar means a group, a strong, sizable group and contingent of jinn took this iman. There is no mention here in the surah or any hadith how many people responded to this conversation. This is the initial presentation that this group of jinn gave to the rest of the jinn. Allahu Alam. But the ulama and muhaddithin are in agreement that from that time up till today there have been salihin, mu'mineen jinn who are continuing to do dawah amongst the rest of the jinn. And there have been qasidun or unjust, oppressive, wrongdoing, you can even say kuffar jinn. And there have been evil and mischievous jinn. Right? And these two groups are obviously found amongst insan as well. Now, however, there's a big lesson for us in what's going to come. After mentioning all of this, now this looks like this is a wonderful group of jinn, mashallah, they have iman, they have yaqeen, they're doing dawah. What does Allah subhanahu say upon them? That if these jinn who were 
that first group if they have istikama ala tariqa which means if they remain steadfast and firm on the path then what will happen that Allah subhanahu wa says the that we will certainly definitely bless them with abundant you can say it's literally abundant water as one can take it literally that we will grant them abundant water you can also take it in a metaphorical sense that we will grant them abundant blessings but what will happen with that supplied water or abundant blessings so that we may put them in fitna. Fitna here means that we put them in a trial. We may put them in a test. So what does that mean? That even when a person has a lot of iman, does dawah to others on the basis of the iman. And then as istikama on the path, Allah Taala will still test a person by giving them abundance. Whether it's abundance in water, abundance in blessings, abundance in success in their dawah, abundance in a'mal on the basis of their iman, Allah subhanahu will always test a person. So this is why we should also be very careful that if we develop our iman, develop our deen, do khidmat of deen, do dawat of deen, we should always be ready for the test of Allah subhanahu What is it then that Allah is going to mention? What is that attribute that will enable a person who has iman and who does dawah to, and has istikama in that iman and has istikama on the dawah when Allah Ta'ala tests them what will enable them to pass the test and what will make them fail the test that person who leaves the zikr of their rub that person who leaves the remembrance of their rub that is the person who will fail the test so it shows that the importance and ahmiyyah of dhikr even for people who are iman, people of iman and dawah and istikama. So that person who leaves the dhikr of their rub, then what means remains the mindful and perpetual remembrance of their rub, what will happen? Yes, look who adhaban sa'ada, that that person will be then made and driven towards and made to enter a severe punishment that even you can say Sa'ada is a mounting and increasing punishment, a punishment that will simply increase. Severe but that will increase. Alright. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions something else from verses 18 and 19. This has two translations. Number one it means literally the masajid, the places of sajda are all for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it can also be dharf bimana master means all prostrations are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَلَا مَا اللَّهِ أَحَدًا And alongside with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you should not call upon, do not make dua, do not pray in supplication to any other one, to any other being. وَأَنَّهُ لَمَّا قَامَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ And so when the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, means Sayyidina Rasulullah when he stood up to do what? Yad'uhu. When he stood up to, and to call people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what happened? Qadu yukununa alayhi libada. Then a throng and mass, they virtually formed a throng and mass and a dense crowd around him. This first understanding of this is that when the Prophet stood up to call the people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then these jinnat crowded around him. This could mean that original group of jinn. It could mean many other jinn who responded to their dawah. 
And second meaning of this verse is that no, this is now left the topic of the jinn. And now it's talking about when say and they they crowded that if it was about the jinn, they crowded around the Prophet to accept Iman. Second possibility is no, the verse is saying that in contrast to the jinn, when the when the slave of Allah Subhanahu I mean Sayyidina stood up to call humanity, right, those humans, Yani the Quraysh of Makkah, to then they densely crowded around him and thronged him and rushed him in opposition. They would taunt him, they would throw pebbles at him, they would call him magician, poet, etc., etc. So the ulama of Tafsir has taken both possibilities as the meaning of this verse. Important thing to realize here uh, that two things. Number one uh, is that the masajid, uh, in one sense, every single place on earth is a place, every single place on earth that is pure is a place where a person can do sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all places of prostration doesn't necessarily just mean all buildings constructed for that. But certainly it does also mean that any buildings, houses of worship, that are constructed for the sajda, all of them belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So lamb here comes for tamlik and exclusive milk. So that is why in our deen the ulama of sharia have said that every masjid must be waqf lillah, must be an endowment, cannot remain in the private property of someone, but then belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one of the ahkam of masajid. Therefore, if you build a physical structure that looks like a masjid, but for whatever reason you want to keep it in your own private property, then it doesn't fall under the hukam of the masjid. Right? Then it will be what we call a musalla, a place which is dedicated as a place of salah. But for a place to be a masjid, it must be, must be eternally waqf for Allah SWT alone. Now here Allah SWT then tells Sayyidina what are some words that you should use when making da'wah to the non-believers, making da'wah to the uh, kuffar of the Quraysh. And here this is you know, basically a uh, common basic theme here, invitation to tawheed and an invitation to abstain from kufr and sin. Kul that say to them, my beloved messenger, that indeed I, am, I make dua and I call and pray only to my Rabb and I do not associate and ascribe any partners to him in my dua and in my ibadah, in my worship. Or in any sense, I don't ascribe partners to him. Second statement, indeed, I have no, and I for my part have no power to do you harm or to guide you aright. Means this is only the will and wish of Allah SWT. Kul, say to them, my beloved Messenger, and third, Inni lain yujirani minallahi ahada. And second, that without any doubt whatsoever, none of you can save me or protect me or grant me salvation or shelter from Allah SWT. Means I am also purely at the mercy of Allah SWT. Walan ajda min dunihi multahada. And I cannot find any refuge, uh, any, I cannot find any refuge except for Allah SWT. Then now verse 23, that the word kul isn't used here, but there's what we call ibadat al-mahdhuf here, understood in Arabic grammar. It means that the Prophet is saying that what, it, what is the duty that has been given to him? What is he that is responsible for doing? So what is his ability and duty and responsibility? It is nothing other illa except balagham min allahi wa risalatihi that to simply transmit 
uh, and communicate to communicate the message to communicate to transmit and deliver the communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his and to fulfill and deliver all of his messages. And any such person who disobeys Allah subhanahu wa and or disobeys the Prophet You can also translate man any person who defies Allah subhanahu wa and defies the Prophet any such person who does that that such a person certainly will have for them the fire of Jahannam and they will enter and dwell therein forever. Until they will see with their own eyes, it means they will see everything that they were promised, everything that they were warned about. And at that point they will realize that who was the weaker one in support means that the kuffar of Christ thought they had strength and support. And they used to mock the Prophet that you have no one who is supporting you. So then Allah Ta'ala is saying in the Quran that then they will see who had the weakest in support, the weakest helpers. And then they will say, Aqallu adadan, who were fewer in number. Because the second thing they used to think that we never need to accept Islam because we have all the strong leaders with us. And we never need to accept Islam because we have the greater numbers. And perhaps there may be some people like that today who rely on their strength, economic or physical or military or numbers and think because of that they don't need to accept Islam. So they look at superiority on earth. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the Quran that no, they will realize the truth when they enter into Jahannam. قُلْ إِنْ أَدْرِي أَقَرِيبٌ مَا أَدُونَ أَمْ يَجْعَلُ اللَّهُ And then say to, and then now again return to that pattern of قُلْ Say to them, my beloved Master son, that I don't know. I do not know whether what you have been promised of and warned of is near or whether your Rabb has given it some time, given it some muhla, given a lengthy term for it. Why alimul ghaybi? That Allah SWT, he, he is the knower of the unseen. فَلَا يُذْهِرُ عَلَى غَيْبِهِ أَحَدًا And Allah SWT has not revealed that unseen to anyone إِلَّا مَنْ اِرْتَضَى مِنْ رَسُولٍ Except for those who Allah Ta'ala has, who Allah, it pleases Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala to reveal that to Min Rasulin from his emissaries. فَإِنَّهُ يَسْلُكُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ رَصَدًا And then Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, then when he sends his emissaries, and this means angels, Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala sends, dispatches guards in front of them and guards behind them. Now what does that mean? Here is an incident which I did not actually discuss with you when we did, I, I, well, I don't remember 100%, but I don't think I discussed it with you when we did Surah Najm. So I want to discuss with you something, it's not being referred to here, but this is taking place in response to this incident that some of you may have heard about, which is popularly known as the Satanic Verses. So because this Surah is Surah Al-Jinn, and because Allah Ta'ala in the beginning talked about how the jinn used to travel far and wide to eavesdrop, and they weren't allowed to eavesdrop in the celestial realm. And now after you have a group of mu'mineen jinn, you'll have a group of kuffar jinn. But they could travel within this world, like I told you, and if any angels discussed anything in this world, they could hear it. So one of the things the evil jinn, yani the shayateen from the jinn tried to do, was they tried to counter that very same revelation, that very same recitation of that Qur'an that brought these jinn to Iman, they tried to counter it and they tried to spoil it. And one incident in which this took place is the incident of the 
satanic verses. So I will mention to you here from Imam At-Tabari who is one of the greatest ulama of tafsir and greatest ulama of sira and history, his account of the narration of what happened in the incident of the satanic verses. And actually... Yeah, one should have done that with you uh, when we did Surah number 53. Anybody have the... Anybody yeah, has the one single volume one of this? Is it a new one? They could... Alright, so Imam Tabri Antan said, first what happened in the early period, in Makkah Makarama, some of the kuffar came to the Prophet and they tried to make a deal with him. And the deal was about that, okay, look, you have your beliefs, we have our belief. Why don't we merge and blend our beliefs and worship together? You say that you believe in some of the things we do and worship some of the things we do, and then we'll also agree and believe in some of the things you do, worship some of the things you do, because we can see some good in it. Now, initially, Sayyidina Rasulullah got some hope in this, that okay, at least they were coming part way. But obviously, as all of you know, in our deen, and especially the Prophet of our deen, we never ever compromise. So even though they were coming halfway or part way, in which they thought was they were reaching out to the Prophet but the Prophet could not in any way compromise, and even one inch towards them. So, this is when the Prophet had to refuse them, and in this incident, Allah Ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Kafirun. Right, where Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet to say to the disbelievers, right, that we don't believe what you believe and we believe what we believe and to you your deen and to us our deen. It's coming tomorrow, inshallah. Right? So at that point, this verse was revealed. Then what happened was then the kuffar turned away and then they had a great rational argument to give everyone that look, we tried to be reasonable and we tried to meet him part way and we said that we'll agree with what some things and you agree with some things, right? Like people today talk about that why can't you be reasonable? Why can't you be moderate? Why can't you be balanced? So they said these exact same things to everyone else. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah got sad. And he was feeling sad. Look, this is how they're misrepresenting it. And they're twisting it. So here, then what happened? Then Allah found to reveal Surah number 53. And it's actually in the revelation of Surah number 53 that... Keep, just leave it there. Either Surah number. It's in the event of Surah 53 that you have this incidence of the satanic verses. All right. So Surah 53 is Surah Najm. We've already done it for you. Uh, basically, what happened was up to verses 20 were revealed, and then Sayyidina Rasulullah was reciting them once in Salah in Makkah Mukarramah. And that was a time when the Prophet was reciting in Salah and there were mu'mineen who were praying behind him and there were also kuffar who were sort of walking around and milling around in the area close to the Kaaba. And this was after, very shortly, after, very shortly after this incident with the comp- offer of compromise and let's merge and blend our aqidah and our beliefs. So what happened uh, then was that if you look at verses number 19 and 20 of Surah Al-Najm, here Allah's font on verses 19 and 20 has said, it might be easier to read it from here. So I didn't do this for you, actually. When I don't remember doing it for you when we did Surah Al-Najm. So in verses 19 and 20, Allah's font said, 
that have you not seen them, I mean, have you not seen, uh, have you ever seen and considered their idols of Lat and Uzza and about their other and third idol, Manat? Means here Allah Ta'ala is just describing and mentioning the shirk and the names of the false idols of Makkah These were exactly those three idols that that group of kafar were telling the Prophet that you worship them a bit and we worship Allah Ta'ala a bit and we can all get along. So what happened here at this point, this is the incident of the shaitanic verses, that shaitan inserted this. Now there are a lot of discussion. A lot of discussion. As exactly what was the tafsil, how this happened. Did shaitan whisper it in the voice of the Prophet Did he imitate the voice of the Prophet Did he somehow imitate the voice of the Prophet coming from his tongue? So as if somebody puts a speaker here and then imitates it. Did he do waswasa into the ears of the people who are listening? Allah Ta'ala knows best. Ulama have written many, maybe many ulama know better than me about this. Right? There's a lot of detailed possibilities about this. The words, however, that were added were these following words. So I'm actually going to recite to you these satanic verses. There are two couplets that shaitan inserted at this point. Tilka ghanani kul ulya wa indahu shafa'a shafa'atul turtada in some riwayat say turtaja. The tilka means that these three, this, these three, the lat, uzza and manat, these three are gharanikul ulya. Gharanik in Arabic means the happy, bountiful, young, tender, shining, brilliant youth. Al-ulya, the plural of Allah, they're the exalted, right, youth. Wa indahu and in them lies a shafa'a, lies an intercession and a healing. Turtada, if it so pleases them, or turtaja. Alright? Now, this is something that made the unbelievers who were listening so happy that look, the Prophet is talking about our idols. So all of a sudden these words, Lat, Uzza and Manat came in Revelation. And then after that the Prophet said this about them. So they also, they thought that the Prophet has reconsidered and agreed on his compromise. And he's now leading the prayer in this way and adding some of our beliefs. So they all joined the Salah and they also went into Sajdah. They all quickly joined into the Salah and they also went into Sajdah. This is the one time that the Kufar actually did Sajda behind the Prophet facing towards the Kaaba. But Nabiya Kunim Sosam had no idea this was said. Whether somehow this was said as a whisper emanating from his tongue or was said separately, he had no idea. Sahaba Kram, they heard it and the Mushrikeen did. Sahaba Kram, the inside Salah, whatever the Prophet says, they think that that's revelation, right? And that has been revealed. Okay, now after this happened, then the angel Jibreel came down. When the angel Jibreel came down, he repeated these words and told the Prophet, what did you do? And the Prophet, this is in the Hadith, right? And the Prophet says, I never said that. I don't know what you're talking about, right? And the angel says, you inserted this. And the Prophet says, no, I didn't, right? So then Allah SWT then sent another revelation, which if I can find it for you, which then clears up this issue. The reason I thought I would mention it is that you should know that every single thing about the satanic verses should be understood in light of Qur'an al-Kareem and in light of the hadith of Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa Just to finish, by the way, uh, just to finish the recitation of Surah Al-Najm, 
because after the Prophet mentioned their names, uh, then from verses 21 onwards, Allah Subhanahu says, Is it that you have males and he has females? If so, there's a bizarre division. These are nothing but names you and your fathers have invented. Means that there are no gods called Lat, Uzza, and Manat. These are just names that you have invented. Right? But instead of that, right, Shaitan had inserted uh, his false versions. And this is the only time uh, that such a thing has ever happened. Okay, so verse Surah Al Hajj, Surah number 22, verses. Uh, fifth, verse 52 we can just do one verse verse 52 and any prophet any messenger except that tamanna means that when they were yearning means they were yearning to try to bring the people right uh, into the deen that shaitan somehow inserted himself and cast himself into their wish. And now Allah Ta'ala has done nasq, Allah Ta'ala has sealed off entirely and cast away whatever shaitan would like to cast. And now Yuhkimu Allah Ta'ala has made absolutely strong and firm Ayatihi, his verses of revelation, and indeed Allah Subhanahu is all knowing and all wise. All knowing and all wise. Alright? So that ayah then was then the final revelation this where Allah Subhanahu has made it. Firm his revelation means that never allowed Iblis and Shaitan, Iblis, Yani Shaitan, ever to cast anything again uh, on top of the verses of Quran. Now, here, going back to where we were, which is going back to Surah Al Jinn, and we were doing uh, verse number verse number 27. So, these guards, so these angels as guards who have been appointed in Revelation. Some ulama of tafsir mentioned that there are four angels, two in front and two behind. Now, this doesn't mean that Allah Ta'ala needs guards to keep shaitan away, right? Any more than Allah Ta'ala needs to take flaming bits of the fiery stars to drive the jinnat away. But this is the will of Allah Ta'ala. Many times Allah Ta'ala chooses, instead of manifesting His direct power, He uses asbab. One reason is also that because, number one, Allah subhanahu wa had allowed Iblis muhla, had given him respite and repute till the end of time, so that Allah Ta'ala does not want to break that allowance by intervening directly. But Allah Ta'ala had told him that, like, I will give you certain abilities, I will also send others with other abilities, and it will be you versus other members of creation. So here Allah Ta'ala appoints these four angels. Alright? And I want to show you in a couple of surahs later how powerful the angels are. Uh, you will be amazed at the might and strength of the angels. So here, this is the end of this. So over the last uh, ayah, it's the verse 20:. So all of this, Allah Taala has sends the, these uh, message, messages and revelation down to the Prophet and guards him. Why? So that he may know that they have conveyed the messages of their Rabb 
means that those angels have delivered the message of the Rabb, they can confirm it. There is no deception or delusion possible by the force of Shaitan. Who is their Rabb? He is that Rabb Ahat Bima Ladehim. That his knowledge encompasses everything they have. And he keeps, literally means he keeps strict account of each and every single thing. Means that he is, you can say he, he has account over each and every single thing. So this is Surah Al-Jinn. And here then we were able to mention that incident which we didn't do on the other two verses which refer to that surah. Next surah is Surah Al-Muzamma. Okay, now from here we're going to say that a lot of these surahs, unless I mention otherwise, are from the very early Meccan period. A lot of them will talk about the, about the receiving a revelation of the Prophet and also about basics of Tawheed and Akhirah and many things to do with the end of time and the day of judgment. So here is a pair of surahs known as Surah Al-Muzammil, which will be followed by Surah Al-Mudathir. Alright? So, slightly different way of saying this, Muzammal, you can say, is being wrapped and Mudathir is being covered. So, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Rahman Rahim Ya Ayyuhal Muzammil That, oh, you who are wrapped in a, who wrap yourself. Right? Muzammal, the one who is wrapped himself. So, this is a way that Allah SWT is calling on the Prophet with love. This is something that I think many of you would know. That Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Whenever uh, the Mashrikeen of Makkah Makarramah used to do something that would hurt the Prophet Sallallahu Right? Mudathir uh, is that about the original verse of Revelation. Muzammil is something slightly different. When the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarramah used to say something that would hurt the Prophet then he would wrap himself up. Uh, you can say wrap himself in a shawl or wrap himself in a garment. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling him this way, Ya Ayuhal Muzammal, as a loving or affectionate way, referring to him in this way, Kumil Layla illa Kalila, that you should stand in the night except a little bit. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is instructed Sayyidina Rasulullah to perform Tahajjud Salah. From this moment onward then Tahajjud Salah became farad on Sayyidina Rasulullah although for the rest of his ummah it is a sunnah. Some ulama also have mentioned that initially it was fard on the sahaba ikram, but later it also became in a sunnah, in an optional prayer for them. So, illa kalila, that you should rise up and stand through the night, illa kalila, except a little while of it. Nisfahu, either you stand half of the night, awinqus minhu kalila, or slightly less than half of the night. That has been understood because it's coming explicitly shortly to mean one third slightly less than one half is one third oh zid alayhi or add to it a little bit which means slightly more than one half which is also understood to be or which is understood to be two thirds and when you stand all the night except a little or half the night or less than half one third or more than half two thirds right so there's no notion of the entire night all the night except a little Half the night, one third of the night, or two thirds, what should you do in that? Then you should recite the Quran with tartil. Means you should recite it steadily, you should recite it distinctly, you should distinctly recite the Quran distinctly. Alright. What does this mean? 
So here at this moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving, although the tahajjud is part of it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving Sayyidina Rasulullah some an option of the length of that tahajjud. Right? That's the first thing. Second, Allah ta'ala is giving, second command is ratil. Ratil means to recite the Qur'an steadily. Now, why is the Prophet being told this? Nabiya Karim Sussam always recited the Qur'an steadily. What happened was that even in the case of the Prophet and also because the part of Qur'an educated for all of us, that when a person feels very tired and sleepy, then what happens is a person starts slurring in their speech. A person starts slurring in their speech. This is why in Hadith of Bukhari, even in Muslim, the Prophet told people that what you should recite in tahajjud, but when you start getting so sleepy that you're not able to do tartil, that you start slurring and slipping in your speech or you're saying things without knowing what you're saying, then you should wrap up your tahajjud and go to sleep. Wrap up your tahajjud and go to sleep. It may also happen that somebody uh, tries to hurry through their tahajjud salah so that they can go to sleep. So either way, this is the... A command of Allah SWT. Later on, the ulama of Tajweed made Tartil a particular category. So there are three things they talk about. Hadar, Tadweer, and Tartil. Tartil means the slowest, most slowest recitation. Hadar is the fast recitation that is normally used to lead Fajr and Isha and Taraweeh, right? Uh, and technically speaking, Taraweeh Salah is not supposed to be any faster than the speed at which you would read Fajr, Maghrib, and Isha. That is called Hadar. And what is in the middle is Tadweer. And Tadweer is something that is sort of neither slow nor necessarily fast. So here it doesn't mean that Tartil doesn't mean what the Ulama of Tajweed have said. For example, if you are a fan, as you all should be, of Quranic recitation on the web, you can download the Tartil of Husari or the Hadar of Husari or the Tartil of Minshawi, etc. These are the two, by the way, Qur'an that are recommended for a person who wants to learn Tajweed. Al-Husari and Al-Manshawi Because unfortunately some of the other Qurra Sometimes they don't always strictly stick to the rules of recitation In order to have beautiful uh, Qirat But if you want to listen for beauty Then you can listen to whichever one you like But if you want to listen to learn Tajweed All over the world And I've asked many many ulama of Qur'an From Misr, from Saudi, from Pakistan From many places, from Bosnia even recently and they all recommend Minshawi and Husani. But this Tirtil this is not necessarily saying you have to recite as slowly, the point I want to clarify, as the Tirtil sets. Tirtil just here means distinctly. It has nothing to do with speed. Distinct pronunciation and enunciation without slurring uh, and without rushing perhaps, but not necessarily doing it very slowly. Alright? Uh, and this is the narration of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu that here tirtil so actually what is mentioned here is tirtil you could actually call it tajweed and this some of you have heard other of our programs but remember that the word tajweed does not come anywhere in Quran and Sunnah but it, the word that comes is tirtil but tirtil means to be able to distinctly recite Quran later on the ummah decided to use the word tajweed for this fun or for this discipline then Allah subhanahu wa says to the Prophet Inna sanuqi alayka qawlan thakila And indeed soon we are going to cast upon you means we will send down upon you a heavy, heavy and weighty word. What does this mean, this heavy, weighty word? It's Qur'an al-Karim. What means is that only a little bit of Qur'an has been revealed so far. It's a very early surah, surah al-Muzammil. 
and the mass of Quran is still to be revealed. So Allah Ta'ala is preparing the Prophet that it's not just few ayahs that you've been recited thus far. There's a lot more coming and the sum total of that will be thaqeel, will be heavy. That's why the ulama of our deen saying that the Quran is thaqeel. Zikr is khafif, dua is khafif, tasbih is khafif, Quran is thaqeel. What does it mean if a person tries to recite Quran properly with tirtil and ma'na and feeling? It's a very heavy thing to do. Heavy means it requires a lot of himma, a lot of strength, a lot of zarf, right? Whereas a person can sit and make lots of tasbihat. That's why many women, they just love doing awrad and wazayif. You can give tasbih after tasbih after tasbih because it's light for them to do. But Quran al-Kanim is thakil, it's heavy, it's deep, it's weighty. And if Allah Ta'ala is calling it thakil, and Allah Ta'ala is calling it thakil in Quran, and Allah Ta'ala is calling it thakil in Quran to the Prophet then you can imagine indeed how weighty and heavy and deep and mighty it is. Inna, <coughs> then Allah SWT mentions in uh, another meaning of it being weighty is also specifically for the Prophet in terms of his receiving that revelation. So in the beginning of the Sahih Bukhari there's a uh, section Baban Kana Bad al that the chapter con- containing the hadith that narrate the beginning of revelation and in that many hadith such as from about how what would happen to the Prophet when verses were revealed to him his trembling, his shivering, his perspiring and his sweating, uh, how his face would change uh, so this was a tremendous experience also for the Prophet ﷺ to receive revelation. So this is another meaning uh, that it is heavy. Inna na ashaddu that indeed the rising at the night is most intense, uh, most intense. What is most intense and difficult as a discipline and regimen. But it is also Aqwa Mukila, it is the most, uh, the Quranic Reem is most correctly spoken then. It also means it is the most appropriate to do Tartil of Quran. It is the most appropriate time for distinct recitation and pondering on Quran. So this also mentions that the notion that the Hajjud, if a person, now if a person is standing up all night except a little, it doesn't necessarily mean they slept and they woke up. But if they're doing any less part, then the notion is that you would sleep and first wake up. But as you should know that for tahajjud, it's not necessary to sleep. It just adds to the difficulty, so it adds to the thawab and maybe add to the qurb. But even if a person is awake in any part of the night, after Isha you can pray tahajjud. Even more better to pray in the second half of the night. Even more better to pray in the last third of the night. Even more better to pray after sleeping and waking up. But any one of these qualifies it to be the Hajjad Salah. So therefore those who are unable to wake up after sleeping or unable to pray in the end of the night, they should pray some extra Salah in the beginning of the night. means after they pray Isha with Niyah of Tahajjad. In the Lakafin Nahari, Sabhan Tawila. And then Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet, indeed you have a long course of intensive work that is busy and that engages you during the day. So this was the nature of the Prophet that it's not that he was resting by day and praying all night. And this shows this in why it's difficult to wake up at night because a person who had long work during the day, they want to sleep at night. Or when they finally fall asleep at night, it's difficult to get up quickly. So this shows the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah used to work hard all day 
and you have to pray long and hard all night. Right? And all of this was done for the sake of his ummah, working hard all day, doing da'wah of deen, establishing deen, ikamatun deen. Uh, and at night he was praying salah, after which he would make du'a and pray to his ummah. What should a person do? And a person should do dhikr of the name of their Rabb and they should cut yourself off from everything to focus your attention only on Him. You should do dhikr and remember the name of your Rabb and to the exclusively remembering Him to the exclusion of every single other thing. Here, dhikr of the name of Allah Ta'ala's Rabb means several things. Number one, it means salah in the connection of the passage before that that is a way to describe how do you pray to Hajjad by mentioning the name of your Rabb. Second, it also can gen because Allah Ta'ala always remember this. This is a rule of usul of tafsir. That Allah Ta'ala is ahkam al-hakimin. He is the most wise of the wise ones. He doesn't select his words arbitrarily. If Allah Ta'ala wanted to say a word here that only meant salah, Allah Ta'ala would have said the word salah. When Allah Ta'ala wanted to mention that inside salah and outside salah, generally the way to remember Allah Ta'ala in worship is by doing dhikr of His name. So therefore we said, that make dhikr of the name of your Rabb. Secondly, that whether it is salah or any other form of dhikr in which a person takes the name of their Rabb, the name of our Rabb is Allah. Ismidat is always what is referred to in Quran by ism, unless Allah Ta'ala says the word Asmal Husna, then there was his sifati names, the names of his attributes. So take the name of your Rabb, which is to do dhikr of the name Allah, that has to be done in a way that is tabattal. Now there is no method that is mentioned that how can you achieve this exclusive awareness of Allah's name to the exclusion of everything else. That is why one method, that there's, means there is no transmitted method in how to do this. So one of the acceptable methods that the Mashiach can come up with is that you should close your eyes to disconnect yourself off from your sensory perception, turn off your thoughts and turn off your other feelings to forget everything in the world and only and only try to be aware and remembering Allah Ta'ala's name. That is the way to do amal on this ayah of Qur'an. Either way, every single mu'min has to do amal on every, has to try in their lifetime to do amal on every single ayah of Qur'an. So this is one way to do amal on this ayah of Qur'an. Sayyidina Rasulullah has not transmitted any particular way to do amal on this ayah of Qur'an. Whenever there is any particular method that is transmitted in the sunnah, to leave that transmitted method of sunnah is called bidah. And if there's ever something that there is no method transmitted for that in the sunnah, means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left that open, not particular and specific, left that open to the ummah. And then you will inevitably, because there is no transmitted method from the sunnah, you will have to do a method that is not transmitted for the sunnah, and that is not called bidah. Anybody who asks you a method for a reference for such a method is ignorant or foolish or misled or misleading. How can you find a reference for something that by very definition is something that the Prophet did not explicitly teach you how to do? Right? Allah Ta'ala in the realm of nafil ibadah has left nafil ibadah open. This is such as dhikr and dua. Otherwise, fard, wajib, sunnah and even some nafil ibadah, even that Allah Ta'ala has specified. Such as the masnoon, duas of the Prophet 
Du'as nafil, but we have certain transmitted du'as of the Prophet But you're not limited to them. You can make du'a in any language, any words you want. The ultimate limit on worship is sharia. It's not sunnah. The ultimate limit on farad, wajib, and sunnah ibadah is Qur'an and sunnah. The ultimate limit on nafil ibadah is sharia. Is sharia, you cannot do any form of du'a and dhikr that is contrary to or goes out against the sharia. And yes, if there is this transmitted method of doing any ibadah in the sunnah, you must follow that sunnah method. You cannot leave the transmitted sunnah method for non-transmitted method. Right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, but there is no, for example, for this ayah, uh, when the ayah means salah, there is a transmitted method of how to pray, you can't leave that. But when the ayah means dhikr, there is no transmitted method as how to make dhikr using the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So any method is acceptable as long as it doesn't go against sharia that is transmitted in the Qur'an and the sunnah. Who is your Rabb? Rabb al-Mashriqi wal-Maghrib that Allah Ta'ala is the Lord of the East and the West. La ilaha illa huwa that there is no being worthy of worship. There is no deity, no God except for Him. Fattakhidhu wakila and therefore you should take Allah Ta'ala as your wakil. Here in this ayah Allah Ta'ala has mentioned a Rabb between Ibadah and Tawakkul. Erupt a relationship between ibadah and tawakkul that when you realize that Allah and Allah alone is a God and ilah and that Allah and Allah alone will you worship then it means that you will naturally emotionally only and only trust in Allah SWT it's very difficult for a person who doesn't do ibadah to have tawakkul so once we gave this example reason that if you don't pray your fajr in the morning do you feel that you can trust in Allah Ta'ala to take care of your affairs you won't feel that way because I didn't pray my fajr in the morning. How can I feel that Allah is taking care of my affairs? But that person who does ibadah and does ibadah, then they will feel Allah is taking care of their affairs. Then they do ibadah of Allah Ta'ala alone. Their heartfelt feeling will be that Allah alone is taking care of my affairs. He is my only wakil. That person who feels that Allah Ta'ala alone is taking care of my affairs, then they will be convinced that their affairs will be settled because that person whose affairs Allah Ta'ala takes care of, then no one, not even shaitan, can interfere and harm that person's affairs. Then number verse number 10 which may give me an opportunity to talk about something that all of you want me to talk about. Wasbir ala ma yukulun. Allah Ta'ala tells the Fatah Wasbir ala ma yukulun. That you should have sabr. Have sabr means don't grieve. Don't be sad. Don't react. Don't be angry. Don't be disturbed. Wasbir. Patiently endure. Ala ma yukulun on each and everything that they are saying. Whatever they are saying about you, they're calling you a magician, they're calling you a soothsayer, they're calling you a poet, they're calling you a liar, they're calling you crazy, they're calling you a fraud. Wasbir. Patiently endure. Ma, each and every single thing, those who said usul, ma's am, each and every single thing that they say. Wahjurhum hajran jamila, jamila, Allahu Akbar, Wahjur means, and you should part ways from them, separate from them, remain detached from them in a jameel, in a beautiful, graceful way of being detached. Disconnect yourself from them. Don't even acknowledge them. Show your disinterest in them and detach from them in a hajran jamila, in a beautiful way. 
Now people say, no, no, but today things are different. No, nothing is ever different from Qur'an. Nothing can surpass and exceed Qur'an. Right? So, then, let me read another ayah. وَذَرْنِي وَالْمُكَذِّبِينَ أُولِ النَّعْمَةِ أُولِ النَّعْمَةِ وَمَحِلْهُمْ قَلِيلًا And leave me, Allah says, leave them to me. So it's saying, وَذَرْنِي Leave me وَالْمُكَذِّبِينَ And those who falsify you, who reject you, who deny you, who scoff at you, who falsely present you, who falsely misrepresent you, وَذَرْنِي وَالْمُكَذِّبِينَ Allah says, leave me in them. Means leave them to me. Leave them to me. What does it mean? Maybe if you don't do amal on this ayah, and you take things in your own hands, and things are fine. I told you, leave them to me. You chose to do it, so I don't. Maybe <laughs> that's the greatest mistake one could have made. Hmm? So Allah Ta'ala says, leave them to me. Uh, and Allah Ta'ala says that these are people who are but na'mati. They are ones who have been blessed with ni'mah. Yes, they are the ones who have been blessed with material wealth and material bounties and material blessings who are falsifying the battles. Leave them to me. وَمَحِلْهُمْ And just grant them some muhla, grant them some, give them a little time. Why? إِنَّ لَدَيْنَا أَنْكَالًا وَجَحِيمًا For indeed we have manacles, chains, fetters, and we have jahim, we have the blazing fire. That's what will happen to them. Leave them to my chains that will come to them in the akhirah. Leave them to me to punish them in the akhirah. Alright, so here, in any case, this is the early Makkan period, and it's exactly in the Makkan period that you have non-believers saying foul things about the Prophet You have non-believers saying foul things about the Prophet So when you have that incident, when you have non-believers saying foul things about the Prophet these ayat tell you what it should her response be and what will happen to them. What the Aman the Ghusatin that they will not only are they stuck will be in shackles and chains and they will be in the fire, they will also have choking food. Literally it means food that will get stuck in their throat. It means food that will choke them and they will have Wa Alima and they will have a painful punishment and torment. Yoma Tanjuful Andu Wal Jibalu Bakanatan Jibalu Kathiban Mahila. That this is that day, and when will this punishment take place? It's going to punishment is going to take place after a day in which the earth will shiver and quake, and the mountains that are on that earth will also shiver and quake, and then the mountains will be disintegrate into just a heap of dust. The mountains will be crushed and crumbled and will disintegrate into a heap of dust or you can say a heap of sand. Inna arsanna alaykum rasoola shahidan alaykum kama arsanna ila fir'awna rasoola Indeed, Nabi Akram, we have sent you as a messenger and we have sent you as a messenger shahidan alaykum who will be a witness over you. Kama, just like we sent uh, a prophet to Fir'aun is just like we sent Sayyidina Musa salam, to Fir'aun we have sent you as a messenger regarding Qum means all of you means all of you O Insan alright ok so O Insan we have sent to you Ilaykum we have sent to you a prophet who is going to be a witness over you just as we sent a messenger to Fir'aun who is a witness over him so here what is Allah SWT doing reminding the Prophet that 
Earlier messengers have also been sent to people who would never believe and never accept, but also reminding humanity that what happened to Pharaoh when he didn't accept. So what happened to Pharaoh when he accepted, he was destroyed. So the same thing will happen to people who don't accept the Prophet ﷺ, whether they are destroyed in this world or they are punished and destroyed in the next life, that is the will and the wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَأَصَاءَ فِرْعَوْنَ الرَّسُولَ But Fir'aun defied and scoffed and denied that messenger, yani Musa Islam, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to him, فَأَخَذْنَاهُ أَخْذًا وَبِيلًا And then in Allah Ta'ala says, and so we seized him most severely, we seized him in a devastating way. فَكَيْفَ تَتَّكُونَ إِنْ كَفَرْتُمْ So how will you be able to save yourselves if you disbelieve? So taqwa here doesn't mean taqwa, it's from wikaya, means how will you be able to save yourselves from that day, if you, your month from that day, if you disbelieve. What is that day? Yaj'alul wildan shiba. That is the day that will literally means will turn, will make children grow old, will make children gray, will make children grow white. Some have taken this literally, that <coughs> the fear on that day is so much that even children's hair will go white on that day. Some have taken it slightly metaphorically that it means the length of that day judgment will be so long that even somebody who is raised up as a child on that day they will reach old age meaning their hair will grow white on that day. Here that will also be a day in which and the sky will be rent asunder will be cleft and split apart on that day. Indeed, Allah's promise will be fulfilled. It will be maful, it will be done. His promise and decree will be done, will be absolutely fulfilled. And indeed, all of this is a tadkira, is an advice, a reminder, an admonishment. And whomsoever wishes, let them take a sabil towards their rub, let them adopt a path towards their Rabb. Alright. What does this mean? So again we have this uh, description that Allah uses the Quran, Sirat, Sabil, that the way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a path, uh, is a way, uh, and so a person should adopt that way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now verse 20 is not the longest, but one of the longer verses in Qur'an al-Karim. And this is something, this surah is a very good example for you to see, that some verses, ayat of Qur'an are just two, three words. Ya ayuhal muzammil. And some verses of Qur'an can have so many sentences in them. So verse 20 is one of the longer, not the longest, the longest was already to be done in Surah Al-Baqarah, one of the longer verses in Qur'an. Here, uh, again you're going to have mention of the Hajjah, you're also going to have mention of reasons in which a person can leave praying prayer. That indeed your Rabb knows that you are standing slightly, you uh, are standing that less than, slightly less than, you can say close to, two-thirds of the night. Manisfa who are close to half the night, Wathulatha who are close to one third of the night, Wataifatum Minaladina Maak, and a group of those who are with you, the Prophet some are also standing uh, in Tahajjud. So what happened was that at the at, when Allah subhanahu had revealed this first verses in Surah Muzammil, that the Sahaba Kram 
thought that Allah Ta'ala specifically said that you must pray two-thirds, half, or one-third. And that was in a time when you had watches. That was a time when people could tell the start of Isha and the end of Isha, start of Fajr from the sky. So they were having difficulty calculating. So some of them were praying these amounts, but some were scared that maybe we haven't fulfilled the amount. Maybe we haven't prayed one-third or one-half or two-thirds. Some Sahaba then didn't take the chance and they were literally praying the whole night until the break of Fajr, which was a hardship on them. So here Allah Ta'ala is saying that no, Allah Ta'ala knows that you are sincerely trying to fulfill this hukam and you were trying to uh, pray in this. So now Allah Ta'ala is going to Allah and, sa- and then Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala then says, Wallahu yukaddiru layla wa nahar And it's Allah Subhanahu who is determined and set the timings of the night and the day. Alima Allantasuhu then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that you are unable to precisely calculate uh, precisely calculate it. Therefore Fataba alaykum. So Allah Ta'ala has relented towards you. Relented towards you means he turns to you softly in his mercy and kindness and benevolence. And now what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Fakra'u ma tayassara min al Quran don't worry about two-thirds, half, one-third. You just recite whatever you find easy from recitation of Qur'an. So now then specifically, calculating that was waived. Somebody may say, in this day and age, I have my prayer timetable, I have my math, I have my calculator, I have my watch. So I can still do this. So the hukum is still, Quran. But yes, if somebody wants to plan when to wake up, they can try to wake up in the last third or last time. If somebody wants to pray one third of the night, they can try to calculate that. They can set that as a regimen for them. But that has been lifted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, That you recite and read whatsoever you find easy for you from the Quran to recite. And specifically here, it means that you should pray the hundred for whatever duration is easy for you or easy to calculate for you. You don't have to wor- worry stringently about the one-third, one-half, two-thirds men. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions another thing. Alima, that Allah Subhanahu indeed certainly knows, an sayakunu minkum marda, that there will be some of you who may fall ill, wa akhiruna yadribuna fil ard, that some of you may be traveling the earth, yabtaguna min fadlillah, seeking the bounty of Allah subhanahu means traveling for the sake of trade and business, caravans of trade, uh, means a person may be musafir, right? Uh, and yet there will be yet others who are fighting for the sake of Allah subhanahu so then again on the Therefore you should simply recite what as much of the Quran as is easy for you. And you should regularly establish the salah, which means the mandatory salah, and you should pay your zakah and you should give extra sadaqah, you should give to Allah subhanahu lend him a goodly loan, this I have explained before what Qarr al-Hasan is. Alright. What does this mean? This shows us one thing. And this is a very important thing to mention. One thing is Fard Salah. One thing is other types of Salah. Many people have misunderstanding about Fard, Wajib, Sunnah, Muqaddah, Sunnah, Ghair, Muqaddah, Slash, Nafal, Slash, Mandub, Salah. Actually, these were terms and labels that were attached by Fuqaha Juris. But we have to look behind the scenes of those labels and look at the reality. The reality is that we take our prayer from Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is what we have to do. We pray what the Prophet prayed, 
when he prayed it, the jurors for our convenience put labels, but sometimes it's worthwhile to look underneath the labels so you understand. Number one, there are certain prayers that Sayyidina Rasulullah always prayed in any and every situation whatsoever, even when sick, even when traveling, although he may have abbreviated a kasr, even when sick, even when traveling, even when on jihad. Plus, anybody who didn't pray those prayers, in the hadith, the Prophet mentioned a strong wahid, a severe punishment for anybody who left those prayers. Such a prayer is called fard. And we will also pray every single occasion, even if we are sick or traveling or on jihad. Second, there is a type of prayer that Sayyidina Rasulullah always prayed and never left it, even if he was sick or traveling or on jihad, and mentioned a dislike for the people who leave it, but not as strong a punishment as the first category. Such a prayer is called wajib, but we will also pray in every single case and circumstance. Third, there is a type of prayer that Sayyidina Rasulullah always used to pray and only left for one of these three reasons, falling ill, traveling, or do, fighting in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore we will also pray these prayers always and forever except for one of these three reasons that is called by the Jir-Sunnat-e-Mawqadah. Then, so that means that it's not optional in that sense, but it's a prayer that the Prophet left for one of three reasons, and we can also leave it for one of these three reasons. And there are prayers that the Prophet never ever left except for these three reasons, so we can also not ever ever leave it except because we are the followers of the Prophet. He is our Prophet, we will follow what he does. Fourth category of prayer are those prayers that Sayyidina Rasulullah sometimes used to pray, and sometimes did not used to pray for no specific reason means he left it for any reason whatsoever, that is called completely optional, that is sometimes called sunnat al sometimes called nafil, sometimes called mustahab, in the Arab sometimes they call it mandub, they're all the same thing. So we also, we follow the Prophet we will pray them sometimes, and not pray them sometimes, and we can leave them for any reason whatsoever. So these are the different types of prayer. Okay. Then Allah Subhanahu said, وَمَا تُقَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ مِنْ خَيْرٍ تَجِدُوهُ إِنْ دَ اللَّهِ هُوَ خَيْرٌ وَأَعْظَمَ أَجْرًا That whatever good that you send ahead of yourselves, means whatever a'mal salih you do, and it also means whatever charity that you send, whatever you send ahead of yourself in terms of khair, you will find it with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in such a way, huwa khairun wa a'lam ajra, you will find it with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a better way, and in a way that has more reward. And some translate this that you will find it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khayran, and Allah ta'ala is better than anything that you can do but He is also He will give you an a'dham ajr a greatest reward for anything that you do. And then after you do all this tahajjud and after you do these good deeds and you establish salah, pay zakat and give charity what, when you, after you do all of these ibadat, what should you do? Wastagfirullah. That you should seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving, all merciful. So, this is the adab that in many aspects of our deen that we recite istighfar. After we make ibadah, we should seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we will find it to be all forgiving and all merciful.
Next verse, verse number 74. Surah Al-Mudathir. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ya Ayyuhal Mudathir. Alright. <coughs> Al-Mudathir. This is a word that also means wrapped up. Uh, so some translate it as both of these as wrapped up. And we'll make the distinction that Mudathir is wrapped up in clothes. And Al-Muzammal is wrapped up in clothes. And Mudathir is wrapped up in a shawl. Some have said that no, Al-Muzammal means covered up. And Mudathir means enwrapped and enveloped, right? So you can say, oh, you who have enveloped and wrapped yourself in a garment or a shawl. Here, this is again the narration of Bukhari and Kitabam Kefakan and Badlawai, the Uminisina Aisha, the narration that Sayyidina Rasulullah had mentioned and shared with her the beginning of his revelation. He used to go up to the mountain in the cave of Hira. And he used to even take food with him sometimes when he went because he used to stay there for such long periods of time. And then one day an angel came to him and said, Iqra. And he said that I'm unable to recite. And then the angel squeezed and embraced tightly, squeezingly, the Prophet so hard that the Prophet says I've experienced great pain. And then again said to him, Iqra. And then again the Prophet said the same thing. Then a second time the angel embraced the Prophet and then... Uh, then released the Prophet and again said Ikra and again the Prophet said I can't read and then a third time the, the angel embraced him fourth time said Ikra and then Ikra Bismillah Bikinladi Khalak etc. that is the surah that will come inshallah tomorrow and then the Prophet repeated those first few verses of revelation to the angel and then when he came home he came home in extremely frightened state and he went to Umm and he said the Khadija to Qubrana and he said to her Zammiluni Zammiluni from Muzammil Zammiluni Zammil me up, cover me because he was shivering and shaking, either in a cold sweat and also out of fear of the immensity of what happened. Then another hadith in Bukhari, the snare by Shaydna Jabir, that because after that it was some time before any other revelation came. So once Sayyidina Rasulullah heard a voice calling him from the sky, which was the same voice that he had heard that day in the cave, and he looked up and he saw the angel Jibreel sitting on a majestic chair. In, and this only nobody else could see this on about him and such a huge way that he was filling up the entire sky from horizon to horizon. So Sainasul again became scared and again he went home to and he said the same words to her Zammiluni, Zammiluni that wrap me up and protect me because imagine seeing a being that huge that in an open sky, desert sky, just east to west and from horizon to horizon, the angel Jabil was filling up that whole space. So here, this is the meaning of this first uh, word, first verse. Next, kum fa'andir. So you should stand up and you should warn. So this is understanding that this recitation is not being done just for your private illumination and edification. No, you are a prophet, and you will stand and rise and warn. Kum means to stand and rise up and warn. So this is one of the things about the Basim, that He is a warner. Up to those who will not accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. fakabbir. And you should do the takbir of your Rabb. Means you should proclaim the kibriyai of your Rabb. Means you should mention the greatness of your Rabb. And this is what the saying of Allahu Akbar in our deen. Whether that is said in the adhan or the, in different places of salah or in the iqamah. Or generally the biyakhtims are being told to proclaim to people the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And literally means that you should keep your clothing pure. Taharat means keep your clothing pure. So number one, it does mean it literally. 
that the vehicle is being told you that adab of dawah that when you do dawah and you invite the people you have to do so in such a way that you are presentable second it's also a hukam that there are going to be ahkam of purity and impurity so you have to be worried about najasa you have to be, stay away from things that are impure some have said that obviously if physical purity is required then also spiritual purity is also required and you should stay away from <coughs> you can translate as filth but it really means sin you should stay away from filth and you should tra- stay away from sin you should stay away from those things that are immodest, impure, incorrect to do and don't do anything for anyone or give anything to anyone or be generous with anyone expecting more back or expecting more back or expecting much back from them what does that mean? that means that it's preparing the Pants sum that you may do so many things for so many people and you may not get anything back from them there may be so many people that you invite to some that you did so much for them in your first 40 years of life but they're not going to give back to you and also again is the adab of da'wah that when you give you should not expect anything back. It also is what you would say in Urdu that oh, what is it? Ahsan mat jitlana. Right? If you do an ahsan on someone don't view yourself as their mohsan. Don't do something expecting that somebody will give you something back. Then again وَلِرَبِّكَ fasbir. And then again that for the sake of your rub you should have sabr. Sabr means patience endurance and perseverance it means all three things patience means to patiently bear any hardship adversity uh, endurance means to be strong on whatever the deen requires you to be strong on and perseverance means to maintain on both of those two things anytime a difficulty comes to be patient with it and anytime is a hardship <coughs> whatever the deen asks you to do to always be strong in it so all of these things are included in the word summer. Now Allah Ta'ala is going to talk about the day of judgment. <coughs> and when it is blown into the trumpet, means when the trumpet or the horn is blown, when it is sounded, then what will happen? That will be a day a day that is an extremely severe and intense day. That will be, you can also say it's a dire day. And it will not at all be easy. It will not be easy for the disbelievers. Now here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from verses 11 onward is going to talk about a particular person. Uh, all the way from 11 to 26. And then a bit of continuation to verse 30. So who is that person? That was Walid ibn Mughira who was one of the top kuffar along with Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab. And this is Alama Baghwari Mulatala has written this incident in his tafsir. The tafsir of Baghwari is famous for uh, mentioning the occasions of revelation and the backgrounds of surahs and the backgrounds of verses. Uh, tafsir of Baghwari and Waqadi. So once Walid was in the haram and again in the beginning they used to let the Prophet recite. So Sayyidina Rasulullah recited the first few verses of Surah Ghafir. Uh, and we have done that for you before. And Walid was moved by these verses and about the forgiving nature of Allah SWT. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah saw this. So he started repeating those verses. 
so much so that Malid left and then he went back to his tribe, the Bani Maghzub, and told them that I've heard such a speech from the Prophet that is amazing and that cannot be the speech of man or jinn. Right? So then this got back to the Quraysh. When the Quraysh heard this, they were worried that if Walid were to accept Islam, then many of the Quraysh would follow him because he's one of the major leaders, Abu Jahl, Abu Dhab, and Walid. So who did they send? They sent Abu Jahl to him. Abu Jahl went to him and he played a very cunning game that people do still in this world. And it shows you even this tactic I'm about to show you. You can see that this is an Abu Jahlian type tactic. The tactic he used was follows. He said that, and they were cousins. Abu Jahl was his cousin. So he said, that, oh my dear cousin, I'm feeling so sad. And you missed something out. And he said, why are you so sad? Uh, and he said that, well, the Quraysh were thinking that they were going to give you a lot of wealth and support you because you've shown so much loyalty to them in the face of, in their view, this fitna of this new person claiming to, person claiming to be a prophet. But now... But the Quraysh have heard that you are... The Quraysh have heard that you're going to the... That you... The story that you have gone to the Prophet and you were listening to him, right? So turn it off and on. So then, so the Quraysh uh, that oh Abu Jalto believe that the Quraysh have heard that you've gone to the Prophet and that you're listening to him. And so when they heard that you've gone to him and you listened to him and you're fond of him, they decided not to give you this money as a reward for how much support you have done. So when Walid heard this, so he was so sad at the possibility of getting extra money. And the point Allah Ta'ala makes here is that he was already well endowed and he was already very well off. And he should have listened to what he had heard. And this is also proof that Allah Ta'ala gave Hidayah. Each and every single one of these three, Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl, and Walid, each and every single one of them, at least once Allah Ta'ala gave them enough hidayah to realize the truth of Qur'an, the truth of Nabi Salam, but notwithstanding their inner gut, heartfelt, conscience feeling that this was true, still they would leave it for the sake of something to do with the dunya. And this is something that happens to us all the time. That we know something's true and we shouldn't, or our conscience tells us it's a sin, and we know that Allah Ta'ala would truly be displeased if we do it, but we do it anyway, because we're caught up for the sake of the dunya. So this goes back to Abu Lahab convincing this whole notion of peer pressure, right, and presenting dunya over deen, and showing the benefits of dunya to someone for not being on deen. This is the act of Abu Jahl that he did to Walid. So then Walid said that, uh, no, you know, uh, I'm still with you guys. So, Abu, and he was very wealthy. He owned many, many fields. He had ten sons who were always with, and I was going to mention his sons. So then Abu Jahl told Walid that, look, the Quraysh will never really accept. How are you going to prove to them that you're still with them? Because they've heard the story that you were moved by the Prophet which you went back and you told your tribe that these are, cannot be words of man and jinn. So he said, okay, I will go. So he thought about it. He sat down and thought, how can I convince the Quraysh? All of this is what Allah is talking about in Quran. How can I convince the Quraysh? So they came up with an idea that I will put yet another slander on the Prophet that he is a magician. So that's what he did. He went to them and he said that, oh, you think that he is insane or you think... That he's, you think he's insane? Has he ever strangled himself? You think he's a fortune teller? Has he ever speak like a fortune teller? You say he's a poet. Did you ever hear him recite poetry before? Because the Prophet was not a poet before revelation of Quran. So he said that he's none of these things. He's a magician. That's what he is. 
So Walid is the one who invented yet another slur or slander against the Prophet that he is not Majnoon, he's not a poet, he's not a fortune teller, he's not this and that and the other, but rather he is, in, in, and you say he's a liar, he's not a liar, what he is, is he's a magician. And when he said that, then the Quraysh got happy, and they said that, okay, Walid is still one of us, and they gave him whatever financial reward they were about to give him. So Sayyidina Rasulullah was saddened about this incident, right? Saddened about this incident, this person came so close to believing, and actually, in a sense, had Iman, in, I mean, had the stirrings of Iman in his heart, but still he left. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then now from verses 11 onward, is going to talk about this. That leave me with that one who I created alone. What Allah SWT means here is that I created him single-handedly. I didn't need any help in creating this Walid. Therefore, I don't need any help in handling this Walid. You can think that again with people today, right? <coughs> Somebody who is non-believer, who is blaspheming against the Prophet, right? The ahkam of believers who do blasphemy is different from the rulings of the non-believers who do blasphemy, right? So leave me with the one who I have created single-handedly. And, And I grant him mamdud, a lot of wealth, extensive wealth and resources that were just increasing and increasing. And they were children all around, means they were sons who lived with him and were present with him. And for whom I had cleared the way, and for whom I had cleared the way, or you can say that I had, uh, you translate extended power and honor to him pretty well. Uh, you can say, okay, fine, that to him who I have granted every amenity, every type of amenity and every ease and cleared the way for them in that sense. But however, he still wishes that I grant him even more. This is Tama. Tama means he has lalaj, he's greedy and wants even, even more. By no means, never. That indeed this is a person who is shown stubbornly resisted and opposed our verses of revelation. So, Urhikuhu Sa'uda, and I shall soon make him, I will bring a distress upon him, and this is specifically that I will make him climb the mountain of Sa'ud. Now, what is this Sa'ud? Sa'ud is a mountain of fire in Jahannam. That according to one hadith, uh, narrated in Timbidi, that it will take a person of Jahannam 70 years to climb that mountain and 70 years to come down that mountain and then again they will climb that mountain and again climb down the mountain and the mountain will be a fire and they will be burning on that mountain so in addition to the burning this hardship of climbing and coming down only to climb again only to come down again only to climb again only to come down again Then in verse 18, إِنَّهُ فَكَّرَ إِنَّهُ فَكَّرَ وَقَدَّرَ That indeed he thought and he devised something. So this is referring to what we told you, that he sat down and thought, how can I win myself back into the graces of the Quraysh? So he thought and he calculated and he plotted. فَكُتِلَ كَيْفَ قَدَّرَ And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed how he calculated, he calculated to his doom. May he be destroyed, may he be doomed. Look at him how he calculates. ثُمَّ 
And again, maybe he, may he be doomed and destroyed uh, because of how he planned. You can also take Kutala literally. So death be unto him based on how he plotted. Again, may death be to him how he plotted. But the death is going to come how? From the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After this verse, no Sahaba went and killed him. Yes, after this verse was revealed, no Sahaba went and assassinated him. His death comes on the battlefield of Badr. According to most narrations, his death comes in the battlefield of Badr. Thumma nadar, so then he looked. Thumma abasa wa basara, and then he frowned and he scowled, right? He frowned and he scowled. Then, thumma adbara wa stakbara, then he turned away, literally turned his back, he turned away and he was proud. It means he turned his back on the feeling that Allah Ta'ala had given him and he did so in arrogance. And what did he say? فَقَالَ إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا سِحْرٌ That he said to the Quraysh that this is nothing other than magic, this is sihr. So a new way of slandering the Prophet ﷺ invented by this person, Walid. That this is nothing but magic, sihrun yuqthar. And this is an old magic recounted from the past, an old ancient traditional magic. In Hada illa qawlul bashar. And exactly the word he had said to his own tribe that this could never be the call of bashar or jinn. It means saying it was divine. He took it back and said, In Hada illa qawlul bashar. This is nothing but merely the word of a man, of a mortal man. So that ends his quote. So then Allah Ta'ala says, Sa'uslihi saqar. That I will soon roast him in the fire of hell. And what will inform you what that blazing hellfire is? It spares nothing, it leaves nothing and spares nothing. And it will completely scorch and distort and devastate the body. That is in the tense of the fire that is mentioned here. It will completely scorch and distort and disfigure and devastate the person's body. And there are 19 that are appointed over it. This here is referring to that there are 19 uh, angels that are wardens over it. Alright? This is something that Allah will continue uh, mentioning here in verse 31. A long verse. وَمَا جَأَلْنَا أَصْحَابَ النَّارِ إِلَّا مَلَائِكَةً that we have not made anyone a ward or commander, ward or warden over the fire of Jahannam, except for only the angels. And we have made their number and specified their number only as a trial for those who disbelieve. And so that the people of Kitab, Ahl Kitab, could have had Yaqeen. What does that mean? A trial for the Kafaru. When this verse was revealed that there are 19, so the Kufar starts telling one another that there are only 19 angels in Jahannam, no problem. There'll be so many of us. We'll overpower them. We'll be able to overpower the wardens and guards of Jahannam. We'll be able to break out. Either we won't have to go in in the first place or we'll be able to break out. So the ulama have written that how much power does one angel have? Physical strength. Ulama have written that all of the physical strength of all humans and all jinn combined equal the strength and power of one angel. So then having 19 angels who are wardens over the fire of Jahannam is 
a lot of power. A lot of power. Imagine that we're talking physical might and power, right, of a single angel is greater than the physical might and power of all of humanity and jinn combined. So this was a test for the disbelievers that they thought, okay, even if we go there on the 19th, and so that Ahlul could have Yaqeen, why? Because apparently it is mentioned, at least it was mentioned in the original scriptures, the same number, the same number of 19. Here I should also make a comment that lots of times Orientalist scholarship, which is often Jews and sometimes Christians and sometimes atheists who are studying Islam and the Qur'an al-Kareem, what they do is what they do is they search for these very same convergences in other words, things that the ancient Jewish and Christian scriptures say and that the Qur'an says and instead of realizing that that shows the truth of Qur'an they try to show how that shows the falsehood of Qur'an that Sayyidina Rasulullah was just reading Christian and Jewish parchments and coming up with that so those of you who took our class may remember one of the things we talked about that yeah. Reverend William Montgomery Watt was a very famous clergyman he's written in one of his books that although some people try and he's still, he's reverent he says that after reading the Qur'an, I have no doubt that the Qur'an is a true revelation and Muhammad is a prophet in the same sense that Moses and Jesus were. And those who look at the similarities, yes, they are few, but the great detail and the great additional things that in Qur'an prove that the Qur'an cannot just be presented as a gathering or cut and paste or copy and paste of Jewish and Christian scripture. And in fact, the Islamic understanding is that that is done exactly by Allah Ta'ala said, so that the Ahli Kitab could get yaqeen that this indeed is a book, and the book and the prophet that had been predicted by, and had been foretold uh, by Allah Ta'ala to them in their earlier books. And so, so that the believers also will not have any doubt whatsoever. And those who have diseased hearts, who have illnesses in their hearts. So, Qulub is of Kalb is spiritual heart. So, this I also proves what we call that spiritual hearts have diseases. Those who have diseases in their spiritual heart, Walkafirun, and a separate group is disbelievers. They will say, Mada Aradallahu bihada mathala. That what does Allah Ta'ala intend and what does Allah Ta'ala mean by coining this example? And so what does it mean that there are 19 keepers? So what does this mean? The disbelievers will say this and the rationalistic, scientistic believers who have this manad in their heart that they want to understand everything empirically and rationally. They will also raise questions. That what does Allah mean by this? What does Allah mean by that? What does this hadith mean? Why do the Prophet say that? Why does this exist in Islam? That is a sign to have a marad or an illness or a disease in their heart. And they will also raise such skeptical, doubtful questions. And thus does Allah Ta'ala let go astray whomsoever He wills. And does He guide whomsoever He wills. And no one at all knows the armies and the forces of Allah Ta'ala except for Him. وَمَا هِيَ إِلَّا ذِكْرَ لِلْبَشَرِ And all of this in this Qur'an al-Kareem is certainly indeed an admonishment and an advice for humanity. Is a tathkra is an admonishment and an advice and a reminder for humanity. 
Now verse 32 onward, Allah is going to take a number of oaths. Again, uh, talking about the Akhirah and the Day of Judgment. Kalla wal kamar that nay indeed by the oath and the qasam of the moon wal idha adbar and by the oath and the qasam of the night idha adbar when the night as it recedes and it retreats wal subhi idha asfar and the morning when it gets bright and it glows inna ha the ihda indeed uh, that this it means this matter of affair uh, this matter of Jahannam and the matter of the hellfire is indeed a tremendously important thing for humanity. It is one of the greatest things. Al-Qubar is, has, is, is one of the most gravest and greatest of matters. Nadir al-Bashar and this is all a warning for humanity, for mankind. لِمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْكُمْ for those of you who wish to advance or those who wish to fall behind. What does that mean? Anyone who wishes to go ahead in terms of their deeds and not malus saleh. Or anybody who wishes to stay behind on disbelief or not on doing malus saleh. So here up to now Allah subhanahu wa has taken oaths on many aspects of his physical creation. Here verse 38 is an interesting metaphor Allah subhanahu wa uses. That kullu nafsim bima kasabat rahina. Rahina is from rahen. Rehen is sometimes called, is called Girvi in Urdu, it's called collateral or being a pawn or being a hostage to something. You can say every soul is a hostage to what they do, every soul is a pawn for what they do, every soul is held in collateral uh, to be delivered based on uh, what they will do, will be detained as collateral. Illa ashab al yameen, except for the people of the right hand and we did that in Surah Waqya who the people that are of who are Asabu Yameen are. So what does it mean that you will be detained or be as pawn or be as collateral for what a person does? It means that uh, because of their Iman and their good deeds the Asabu Yameen will not be detained on the Day of Judgment and there will be nothing that can prevent their entry into Jannah. However others who were not people of good deeds their soul will be held. And they will be held until they can be pawned off by Iman and Amal. And because they don't have Iman and Amal, they can never be pawned off and never go into Jannah. And the person who is a disbeliever will be held in Jahannam until they can pawn themselves off with Iman. But they can never pawn themselves off with Iman. So therefore they will always remain in Jahannam. Alright? Okay. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions about uh, that what will happen to the Sasaab Yameen when they enter into Jannah, to feed Jannah, they will enter into gardens, mean the gardens of Jannah. They will ask the sinners and the wrongdoers and the spiritually criminal. They will ask them from Jannah, Ma salakukum fi saqar? Then what was it that landed you into the fire of Jannah? What made you enter into the fire of Jannah? Qalu, so the people of Jannah will reply, Lam we were not the people who regularly performed salah. I'm talking about we were disbelievers. We were not musallim. This makes it very clear. You don't pray your salah regularly. We don't pray our salah regularly. I don't pray my salah regularly. We will end up in Jahannam. This is the first thing they will say. What would put you in Jahannam? Now the sense here, although I'm not saying this uh, passage is restricted to this, but the sense is, you think about it, the people of Jannah, 
who would they be surprised at seeing in Jahannam? Who would they ask that what brought you there? They're not going to ask disbelievers that. That's understood what put you there. It's going to ask that question. They will see their fellow mu'mineen that they knew. And they see them in Jahannam. And those are the ones they will be curious about as to what put you there. Those are the ones they will care about. That they will be worried about what put you there. So what will those people say? That lam naku minal musallin That we were not amongst the people who performed salah. Walam naku nut'imul miskin And we did not feed the poor. This is exactly what you will find in the secular elite of many Muslim countries. They don't pray salah and they don't do anything to eradicate the poverty in their country. These are the two master attributes of many, not all, certainly some elites are religious, but the secular elites, these are their two things. That we don't need to worship, we don't need to pray, we don't pray salah, and they don't do anything to eradicate the poverty in their country. Then, what were they doing? It means that we were obsessed with the things that the obsessive were obsessed with. We were absorbed with the things that the people who were absorbed were absorbed in. means we were also totally obsessed and absorbed and indulged in the dunya. We were fully engaged in the dunya. And, And we used to deny that the day of deen would come. Now, if they're kufar, means they deny it exists. Or it may mean that if they're sinning believers, they deny that it would ever really happen. And to themselves, they're in self-denial, self-delusion, that they will ever be asked whether they prayed salah. They will ever be asked whether they paid zakah. They were in denial of that. Hatta atanal yaqeen. Until yaqeen came to us. And yaqeen literally means certainty, but here it means death. It means when they died and were raised up again, when they were overtaken by death and they were granted yaqeen, means now that we're standing on the Day of Judgment, then we had yaqeen that the Day of Judgment is real. But as you know, it is too late. Then listen to verse 48, also very important. فَمَا لَهُمْ أَنِ التَّذْكِرَةِ مُعْرِذِينَ I'm sorry. فَمَا تَنْفَأَهُمْ شَفَاءَةُ الشَّافِئِينَ And on that day, the shafi'een the ones who can do shafa'ah, the intercess, intercession of the interceders will be of no benefit to them on that day. So obviously this also means, it suggests it's not non-believers. The disbelievers have nobody to do shafa'ah for them. They'll be mu'mineen. But what it means, that maybe a mu'min thinks, okay, I'll make it to Jannah somehow, somebody will intercede for me. If they were not from the musalleen, they will not get shafa'ah to Rasulullah wasallam. If they were not from Muslim. Now do we see the critical importance of praying our salah regularly? Do we see and have some ayat for us which we can share with others that you have to pray your salah? That there is no hope without salah. Even those who Allah Ta'ala will allow to plead and intercede on Mu'mineen's behalf, they will not be accepted to plead on your behalf if you are not a person of salah. Then what happened to them? What's the matter with them? That they did i'rad, that they turned away from the tadkira. They turned away and scoffed at this reminder of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. So what Allah subhanahu ta'ala says, ka'annahum humurum, that they're like humor, they're like donkeys, they're like animals, right? Mustanfira, they're like uh, wild and wild donkey, donkeys in the wild who are frightened and fandat min qaswara, and they are fleeing away from a lion. 
Now this is something that you, if you ever see any area in the jungle, right, that the wild, the donkeys in the wild run away in fear from the lion, right? Just like that, these people are running away from revelation, fleeing from Quran, fleeing from the tazkara. Bal yuridu kullum rein minhum that each and every one of them wants that they should be given their own open scriptures. This is why this is some of the disbelievers told the Prophet and the look, hey, look, if you're saying this revelation is true, it should come down to us. They so say, we don't ask for angels to come, we're going to sleep at night, and we want that a book should come at our pillow side. And if the revelation comes to us openly and clearly individually, then, uh, then we will believe. This is the level that they took. Obviously they weren't even sincere, but this is what they used to tell Sayyidina Rasulullah So then what does Allah want to say? Kalla, never ever shall that happen that they will each individually get their own revelation with the page opened up and telling them what they have to do. Never shall that happen. But actually what is their problem? La yakhafoon al-akhirah They have no fear for the akhirah. They don't fear the akhirah. What does that mean? A key feeling. Key action, salah. Key feeling is to have fear for the akhirah. Again, you will find the secularists have, they live fearlessly. As if there's no day of judgment, as if there's no akhirah, they have no fear of the akhirah. So if we want to save ourselves from the wa'id in this, we have to make sure we pray salah and we fear the akhirah. But in no, none of that will happen, but indeed they should beware and behold and be mindful that nevertheless, إِنَّهُ تَذْكِرَ This is a reminder and admonishment and advice فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَ And whomsoever wills will be mindful of this advice will take heed from this advice وَمَا يَذْكُرُونَ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ But no one can ever take heed and take advice from this تَذْكِرَ unless Allah Ta'ala wills. So no matter how much we want to take heed, we also need that Allah Ta'ala wills for us that we should be guided. We also need to beg Allah Ta'ala that He wishes us to be mindful of this advice and this admonishment. But who is that Allah Ta'ala? Who is Allah Ta'ala? Ahl Taqwa. Ahl means He is the possessor. Uh, he is the one who is uh, worthy to be feared, wa ahlul maghfira, but at the same time he is the one who ultimately forgives. He is the being who is worthy to be feared, and he is the being to whom lies alone the ability to forgive. So this ayah establishes a rabd that Allah Ta'ala forgives those who fear him. Where secular elites think that Allah Ta'ala will forgive them anyway, even if they don't fear him. So we must pray Salah, we must fear the Akhirah, and yes, Allah Ta'ala is from the Ahl Maghfirah, but that Maghfirah will happen to those who fear His disobedience and who fear His displeasure. Next is Qiyamah. Qiyamah obviously means the day of judgment, the day of resurrection, the end day. Also, Makisura al-Bidah min al-Shaytan al-Jim bismillah, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says that uh, I swear by the day of Qiyamah, by the day of judgment. Wala uqsimu bin nafsil lawama. And Allah swears by the nafsil lawama. Nafsil lawama is a particular type of nafs, and that is the accusing, reprimanding, incriminating nafs. What does that mean? That is that there are three types of nafs. Nafsi amara is that person who has a nafs who entirely commands him to do sin. Inna nafsa la amaratum bisu'i. That indeed the nafs is certainly commanding me to evil. 
Then there's a second type of nafs, which is this, which is called an-nafs-lawama. Nafs-lawama is that person that they do sin, but when they do sin, they reprimand themselves, chastise themselves, reproach themselves, blame themselves. They do mulamat of themselves, because they feel nadma, they feel remorse and regret. Right? So this is a good type of nafs. And Allah subhanahu is swearing by that nafs, right? By that human whose conscience reproaches him. And third type of nafs is known as nafs al-mutmainna, that is that nafs that the person is mutma'in on the ahkam of sharia. They're happy, pleased, and content on doing what Allah Ta'ala wants. Desiring what Allah desires for them is sufficient for them. So they don't have any unlawful desires. So they have nafs mutma'inna. So here then Allah Ta'ala after making these two qasms. Why is this now? Here Allah Ta'ala is talking about the Day of Judgment. And the nafs al-lawama. Who would have a nafs al-lawama? Obviously somebody who believes in the Day of Judgment. Somebody who believes in the Day of Judgment will reprimand themselves whenever they do sin. So what does Allah Does humanity think that we will never ever assemble and reassemble and gather their bones? So this is something that again the Kufar Kresh used to say that when we die we become bones. Some of them were grave diggers so they knew this, right? And do they think that we will be... Can our bones be reassembled? Allah Ta'ala says, Bala qadirina ala banana. And Allah Ta'ala says that, look, we have the power even of rearranging and reassembling him right down to his fingertip. This is one ayah which no one 1400 years ago knew this, that every single human's fingerprint is different. So this is an ayah where Allah Ta'ala is showing the mastery of his creation. Not only will he reassemble them, he will reassemble them in their exact, distinct, unique way that he alone created them, right down to the fingerprint. And today, you know, fingerprinting, if you travel some places, you will be asked to give your fingerprint. There's six billion people alive today, and probably hundreds of billions or probably thousands of billions to ever have existed. Each and every one has a different fingerprint, right? The laws of probability would say that at least two people should have the same one. No. Right, so this is the masterful creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this may be something people at that time couldn't have understood. Bones would seem to be much more intense than fingertips. But this is something that today we can understand. That being able to reassemble the fingertip. Right. can also be that the fin- the, even if the bones remain, the skin, for those people who are not protected by Allah ta'ala in the grave, their skin will be mm, disintegrated. Alright. <coughs> But rather, what is it that a person wants to do? A person wants to sin for the entire life that is ahead of them. It means that they want to sin for as long as they can. That's what they want to do. They want to sin for as long as they can. Fujur means to sin. Yes, And they ask the question that when will the day of judgment come? This will be the day when the eyes will be bewildered, they will be dazzled. Uh, and this is when the moon will be eclipsed. And the sun and the moon will be joined with one another. And then every human being will say on that where can I flee? Where can I run? Where is the escape? No, no, that there is no refuge, there is no place of safety, there is no escape, no place for you to run to. 
إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ يَوْمَ إِذِنِ الْمُسْتَقَرِ And on this day, the only and only place that you will go, and the only you will only get as far as going towards your Rabb, the only place where you have Qirar, the only place you can flee to is in fact towards your Rabb. All paths lead towards your Rabb on that day. There is no escape. يُنَبَّأُ الْإِنسَانُ يَوْمَ إِذِمْ بِمَا قَدَّمَ وَأَخْرَ And this will be that day that each and every single human being will be told and informed of that day what is it that he sent ahead, what did he leave behind, what did he prefer to do by doing it, and what did he defer doing, أَخْرَ What did he defer, what did he not do? What were the possible amal that he left behind, and what were the actual amal that he sent ahead? بَلِ بَذِلْ إِنسَانُ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ بَصِيرًا And each and every single person will be in evidence against himself, will be well aware against about his own condition. وَلَوْ أَلْقَى مَعَاذِيرًا Even if they will make excuses and they will present their excuses, they will actually be aware of and in evidence and a witness against their own self. Alright. So all of this is answering also some of the things about the, the kuffar that they would ask about the Day of Judgment. Uh, those who don't believe in the Day of Judgment have no intention of stopping their sins, but rather they see their whole life ahead of them in sin. And they don't think that they will end up towards their Rabb, but in fact on the Day of Judgment there will be no escape from their Rabb, and all paths and all destination will go towards their Rabb. <coughs> لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِلَّتَعْجَلَ بِهِ So here Allah SWT tells Sayyidina Rasulullah that don't move your tongue, hasten it. Don't move or agitate your tongue quickly. Uh, to hasten this means to hasten uh, this recitation of Qur'an. إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ وَقُرْآنَ Allah Ta'ala says indeed it is incumbent upon us and our responsibility uh, to gather the Qur'an al-Kareem and then to have you recite it. فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ فَاتَّبِئْ قُرْآنَ And once we have recited it, yani to you through the angel Jibreel islam then فَاتَّبِئْ Then you should follow and imitate and mimic Qur'anahu, you should follow its recitation. ثُمَّ إِنَّ أَلَيْنَ bayana. And then after that, Allah Ta'ala says, it is also our responsibility and incumbent upon us, Allah Subhanahu to elucidate it, to expound upon it, to do bayan of that Qur'an. So what happened here, Sayyidina Abdullah Basra narrated that when the recitation, recited revelation would come on the Prophet sometimes he would recite it quickly as an aid to memory. Because remember, he was not literate, he was ummi. So he thought, let me quickly repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, so that I can memorize it because he was worried. And because he was ummi, he couldn't write it down as an aid to memory. So rep- repetitive recitation was his aid to memory. So Allah SWT then told Nabi Akram that, no, just listen to the recitation and then recite it back, follow it with their thiel, and it is our job to gather it. You don't have to worry about it. We will set a way for it to be gathered. Later there was a suburb for this called Qati bin Wahi that, that Sayyidina Rasulullah was told by Allah Ta'ala to appoint certain sahaba as scribes who would write it down. And then every single, all of these things, although Allah Ta'ala is saying it's alayna, alayna, Allah Ta'ala will do it through the Prophet Allah Ta'ala revealed in the heart of Allah where to put each and every verse, how to arrange it, how to collect it. And then the other thing that is very important is that Tilawati Qur'an is not enough. Kirati Qur'an is not enough. You also need Bayani Qur'an. 
Bayan al-Quran means the words of Quran aren't sufficient. You need to know the meanings of Quran. Where will that bayan come from? Because the bayan is also incumbent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The bayan of Quran will come from also wahi. Allah ta'ala will reveal the meanings of Quran, the feelings of Quran, and will, then the Apostle Sallam will share and explain those meanings and feelings of Quran. This is why Shaykh Shafali Tanvir entitled this tafsir Bayan al-Quran. Right? Because the best bayan of the Qur'an is the bayan that has come from the Prophet <coughs> Then, uh, here Allah Subhanahu is going to talk about the disbelievers, the ones who don't follow the recited recitation, who don't listen to the bayan of the Qur'an of the Prophet So what is going to happen in Kalla, no, rather on the contrary, Kalla, no, bal on the contrary, you love what is ephemeral. Ajla means what is fleeting, what is passing, what is ephemeral. Means this world, and actually what it is that you love this world. So kalla means that no indeed, your denial of this Qur'an and of its meaning, and your denial of the whole Yawm Al-Qiyam and the Day of Judgment, all of that is because tuhibbun al-ajila, you love that which is fleeting, that which is flying, that which is ephemeral. You love this world, al-akhirah, and you have forsaken the akhirah. You have spurned away from the akhirah. You ignore the akhirah. So what will happen on that day, that yawm al-qiyamah? Wujuhi yawma idhin nazira. That many faces on that day will be aglow and shining and resplendent on that day. Ila rabbiha nazira. And they will be gazing upon their rabb. So this is the ayah Qur'an al-Kareem, surah number uh, 75, verse number 23. And that proves the ru'yat ibari ta'ala, or the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that vision will not even take place in Jannah. Right there on that day, there will be some lucky salihin, mu'mineen, saldikin, siddikin, mu'mineen, and obviously also all of the shuhadan, all of the nabiin, who on the very day of judgment, they will be looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how their day of judgment will begin. Can you imagine what resplendent vision they will have when they enter into Jannah after the day of judgment? So this is on that day, right? Uh, Yawma Idin is also on this Ila Rabbiha Nadira. But then there will be other faces, Bubujuhi Yawma Idin Basira. And then there will be some faces on that day which will be frowning, darkened, scowling, gloomy, darkened in desperation, right? <coughs> and تَذُنُّ أَنْ يُفْعَلَ بِهَا فَاقِرًا And they will be able to tell their zan will be they will be thinking that they will be dealt with most severely they will be able to predict that uh, the severity of the punishment that's going to happen to them كَلَّا and then again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that never Never will it be, in other words, that you can remain in this fleeting world forever and ignore the Akhirah. Never will that happen. That when it means when the ruh reaches your collarbone, right? So when your ruh, in, in terms of when your ruh is taking out, right? What does that mean? That you will die. The world will end. Some people won't realize that even when they're old even when they're sick, the only time they will really realize that this world that I loved is fleeting, is ajal, will come to an end, when the ru is being withdrawn from their body all the way up to their collarbone. Only at that point will they realize uh, the, the reality of death. Wakila man raq. And then it will be said to them, or a caller will call out to them, that who can, 
you know, who is it that can save this person from death? Who can work such a wonder? And then that person will be certain that now this is the parting, this is the departure from this world is imminent. And one leg is entwined with the other. One leg is intertwined with the other. And on that day you will all be driven towards your Rabb, the drive on that day, and you will all be led on that day towards your Rabb. Alright? So this is the description that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made of Yawm Al-Qiyamah here in this Surah Al-Qiyamah. And uh, what does this mean? That one leg is joined with another. Some have said that the Ru is drawn up first from the feet. So you draw up the Ru from the feet up to the body. So when the Ru is drawn up and taken out from your waist, so the bottom half of you is dead, so then your legs just collapse and they get entwined with one another. Right? That is one understanding of this. So this is the process by which the Ru has drawn out. Which doesn't necessarily mean the legs will have to collapse and be entwined with one another. It means that they are rendered senseless and he lacks the person will lose mus- muscular control first of what is below his waist, meaning of his legs. Alright, and then when the roux is taken out entirely, comes up to the collarbone, he will realize that where is that roux being drawn to? It is being drawn towards that day of judgment, that ultimate, final, inevitable, inescapable destination on which they will have to face their rub. Now what happens to this person? who was forgetful of the Day of Judgment. What is the description of this person who uh, was living for the Ajala and forgotten the Akhirah, who was living for this world and forgotten the Akhirah? فَلَا صَدَّكَ وَلَا صَلَّى That neither did they uh, accept the truth. They didn't do tasdeek. They didn't do tasdeek of the Akhirah, tasdeek of Nabuwa, tasdeek of Deen, tasdeek of Quran. وَلَا صَلَّى Nor did they pray Salah. Again, you have the importance of praying Salah. But rather they chose to deny, falsify, view all of this to be a lie. And they decided to spurn. They decided to turn away and scoff away from the deen. And then they turned to their family, turned to their ahl uh, in arrogance. So here, some have said that this ayah refers specifically to Abu Jahl. Some have said it refers to all of their kuffar who went to all of their ahl and tried to get them to disbelief. Even today it happens that sometimes a person comes and tries to check out deen and think whether they're into deen and they decide they don't want to. They go to their ahl and they tell their family you should leave this. This is all nonsense. This is all foolishness. What are you doing? Right? I've gone and seen and this is all nonsense. And what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Even people today will talk like that. So there's also a notion that people not only are they misled, but they also mislead their ahl. They mislead their ahl. And also with tawalla, in the sense that they spurn, that is also an act of, uh, sorry, yatamatta, the way that they go towards their family when they turn away from deen, that way of going is betraying their arrogance. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Awla lakafa awla, which means woe to you, woe to you, uh, So woe to you yet again and yet again. It can also mean that let, you know, you may have 
Woe to you, woe to you, can also mean all the more you will have arrogance, all the more you will have arrogance, all the more you are deceived yet again and again. That does a human being think he will be left to be, he can decide what he wants and he will be left at that moment. So this is all rhetorical. Allah is saying is no, a person will be brought to the day of judgment and punished for everything that he did. That was he not merely a discharge that emitted and was emanated from a drop of semen uh, that emitted. And then after that semen was emitted and fertilized egg, he became a congealed clot with blood, which means a fertilized fetus. فَخَلَقَ فَسَوَّا And Allah Ta'ala created him فَسَوَّا And then Allah Ta'ala fashioned him, developed him, designed him perfectly فَجَعَلَ مِنْهُ الزَّوْجَيْنِ Then Allah Ta'ala created then a couple and a pair from that What type of مِنَ الزَّوْجَيْنِ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى The male and the female أَلَيْسَ ذَلَكَ بِقَادِرٍ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يُحْيِي الْمَوْتَى And is then Allah Ta'ala, is he then not have the power to resurrect and to be able to revive the dead. Means that when Allah Ta'ala created man from just a single drop of semen, he should remember that he was created and fashioned from almost nothing. Then he was developed all the way into human being. Does Allah Ta'ala not have the power to recite, uh, to revive the dead? So obviously our answer should be when we read this ayah that yes, that we believe in Allah Ta'ala in each and every single thing. So this was a call out to the atheist, to the kuffar, also to the lazy, non-practicing, non-remembering, non-thinking Muslim. Next surah is Surah Al-Dahr, which means the surah of the age or the surah of the time. That undoubtedly hasn't, undoubtedly, surely wasn't there such a time when a human being was not even, was nothing and was not even worth mention, right? So all of us are beings who have been created, preceded with non-existence. We haven't always been here. Nobody mentioned us in 1950, in 1900, and 1800. So we should also remember this zamana, that we are actually a zamana has preceded us, in which we were absolutely nothing. <laughs> That indeed we have created humanity from a nutfa. Uh, nutfa is also really this is now a nutfa the amsat a mixed drop. So mixed drop is again the mix of the uh, a mixture of the the male reproductive parts and female reproductive parts, a mixture of semen and the egg, and all and the creation of insan was why namtalihi. So that we could put him in ibtila. The whole purpose of khalq is ibtila. That we could test him. فَجَعَلْنَاهُ سَمِيعًا basira, And we also gave him hearing and seeing. So hearing and seeing, all of this is given so that they may be tested. So they may hear the Qur'an. They may see the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And thereby they will be tested by these faculties. إِنَّ هَدَيْنَاهُ sabila, إِمَّا شَاكِرًا وَإِمَّا kufura. And we guided, Allah says, indeed we sent hidayah and we guided humanity to the sabil. Sabil again, sabil, sirat, tariq, the path, the way that leads to this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imma shakiran, whether he is grateful, 
or whether he is kafur or whether he is ungrateful. Either way, every single human being has been given the hidayah, every single human being has been sent down upon them the surat al-mustaqim. Right? So all of the faculties then that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, not just sama and basr, but even akal, fahim, everything is given only and only so a person can either have shukr or have kufr, either be grateful or be ungrateful. <coughs> Allah says indeed as far as the disbelievers go Allah says we have prepared for them chains and yokes and a sa'ir a blazing fire inna al-abrara yashrabuna min ka'sin ka'na mizajuha ka'fura that the as far as the abrar, which means the people on bir, which means the people who are upright, righteous and pious, they will be drinking from cups which contain a blood of kafur, means camphor, which means some mm, sweet, sustaining, nourishing beverage that has an element of camphor in it. And this will be from a source from which the ibadullah, from which the devoted devotees, servants and slaves of Allah subhanahu wa they shall drink from such springs and source on ayn will be a source and a spring which Allah ta'ala will make it flow. Uh, that Allah ta'ala will make it flow and gush forth freely and abundantly. Yufuna bin nadri and they are such people who fulfill their vows. And they fear such a day when ill and difficulty and retribution mustatira will be widespread and impending. And they feed the poor food out of love for Allah subhanahu wa They feed the poor and they feed the orphan and they feed the captive. All right. So there's an incident that is related to uh, the revelation of this verse. Uh, first of all, Allah subhanahu wa is contrasting uh, what will happen to the disbelievers and the believers. One will be in chains and one will be drinking pleasurable beverages, right? And this cannot be compared to the camp for of this world, but this is some element, some nourishing, sustaining, aromatic element that will be placed in that beverage. One attribute of the people of Jannah is that they fulfill their vows and they have fear. So there you had Salah and Khof. Here you had uh, Wafa and Khof. So all the time, whatever good a person does, they do it out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa The fear of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa The fear of displeasing Allah subhanahu wa And then when Allah subhanahu wa said that this is a day in which difficulty will be widespread, kana sharruhu mustatira. So this is an ayah actually that Sayyidina Rasulullah used to somehow recite over and over again and he used to cry. And Aisha went and asked the Prophet why is he crying? And he replied that he was weeping uh, and then, uh, sorry, the woman Aisha and she used to cry over this and she asked the Prophet that will he remember her on the Day of Judgment? And the Prophet said that initially Every person will be so scared of Allah Ta'ala and so all of Allah Subhanahu that day that no one will be able even to remember their own Ahl on that day.
Some ulama have said that there was an incident of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Sayyidina Fatima that they were the ones who were initially described during this verse that they feed the poor out of the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Either way, this is showing us the niyyah that everything is done for the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is very important because today you will have secular or atheist philanthropists and people will think that maybe they will also get reward. So this is pure, today what we call pure philanthropy and charity, feeding the poor. Who is going to get the word of feeding the poor? The people who didn't alahubbihi. Not even just bi imanihi. Not even just bi imanihi on iman for Allah Ta'ala. They have to do it out of love for Allah Ta'ala. So somebody feeds the poor out of love for the poor, noble sentiment that will get them reward in this world. But if they want to have a more noble sentiment that will get them reward in a more noble world, that has to be that they do love the poor, but along with that they love Allah So this gave us the niyyah, the niyyah for even doing humanitarian and relief work, the niyyah for doing khidmat of deen, khidmat of khalq even, khidmat of insan, khidmat of khalq, all of that has to be done ala hubbihi. How can you have hubbihi without iman, iman bihi? Right? So to get the reward in the Akhirah, we have to do it out of belief and out of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And look what they say, إِنَّمَا نُطْئِمُكُمْ لِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ That we are feeding you only and only for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءٌ وَلَا شُكُورًا And we want no thanks and no reward and no, no compensation and no reward from you. وَلَا شُكُورًا We don't even want your shukr. Love. We don't even want you to say thanks. We don't even want you to say jazakallah. Allahu Prasash خَالِسَةً مُخْلِسًا لِلَّهِ They're doing. And today people, when they donate things, they want things to be in their name. They don't like it if something is donated and it's not used in their name. Right? So this is the incorrect, incorrect view. The real way that we do work of deen, khidmat of deen, khidmat of khalq, is only and only for the alahubbihi, walihubbillahi, Alright? And not asking anything. And then even though they're doing this good work, what do they feel? Inna nakhafu min abbina, yawman abusan kam tarira. That we are in fear from our dub, fearing our dub on such a day. It is abuse. It is a dismal, severe, uh, a dismal and bitter and severe day. A day that can bring about a calamity from Allah Subhanahu wa So they have love for Allah Taala and they have fear of Allah Subhanahu wa Two masterful emotions when they're doing basic acts of charity. This is the Quranic understanding of how we do charity and philanthropy. So then what will happen to Allah subhanahu wa for such a person Allah ta'ala will save them from what yomi from the torment and evil and difficulty of that day and then Allah subhanahu wa will bestow upon them and send upon wasurura, and Allah ta'ala will give them resplendence and joy and happiness and bounty. وَجَزَاهُمْ بِمَا صَبَرُوا And Allah Ta'ala will reward them for all of their patience. وَجَنَّةٌ وَحَرِيرًا And they shall have Jannah, they will have a garden in Jannah. وَحَرِيرًا means silk, they will have silk. مُتَّكِئِينَ فِيهَا And they will be reclining therein. أَلَلْأَرَائِكِ On couches and sofas therein. لَا يَرَوْنَ فِيهَا شَمْسًا وَلَا زَمْحَرِيرًا 
and they will never ever literally means they will neither they will see therein neither sun nor frost. So it means they will never feel heat or feel cold. Now a person may say that no if you don't see the sun over there, so seeing the sun is one of the nicest parts of this earth. Uh, there will be more beautiful and amazing things to see there uh, than the sun. But here it also means that they will never feel the heat of sunlight, nor will they ever feel the coldness of shade. means they will be in automatic climate control, set by Allah Subhanahu in Jannah. So they will have the shade of uh, Jannah will be near to them and close over them. And the grapes, the bunches of grapes and fruits will hang low, means within their reach. Okay, and then this is saying that there will be uh, vessels of silver will be passed around them. We've done this to you before. It came early in Quran uh, as well as uh, they will also have vessels of silver, cups of silver and cups of crystal. Cups of silver and cups of silver or vessels and dishes of silver and glasses of crystal. And the crystal will be such that it is also like silver. And Allah Taala has filled up every silvery glass with a measure which, he, which is appropriate and which He has determined. And in Jannah they will drink from cups which contain a wonderful drink of Zanjabila is actually called ginger, but you call Adrak. So again, the Zanjabila and Kafur doesn't mean the camphor and ginger of this world, but it will be something that is even more incredible. And they will drink from a gushing spring in Jannah, which is known as Salsabil. And salsabil means delectable and pleasurous to drink from. And young youth and mukhalladun who are living eternally in Jannah, they will walk around them and surround them for their khidmah. And you will think that they are strewn or scattered pearls means that if somebody scatters some pearls and then all around you are pearls, that's how wondrous they will be and how lustrous they will be, right? So this is a good term for our program here called Little Pearls uh, that some of the women have started in Zainab Academy for your children. Uh, so if you were to look and you were to gaze in that Jannah, what you will see, you will see tremendous happiness, tremendous bounties, an enormous realm and a kingdom, a magnificent, blissful realm and kingdom. And what will be on them, on what will they be wearing? Alayhim thiyabu sundus. So they will be wearing sundus as a type of fine silk. Sundusin khudrun, a fine green silk, was tabrak and coarse silk. Wahullu asawira min fidda. And they will be adorned with uh, silver, uh, you can say they will be adorned with silver bracelets, 
وَسَقَاهُمْ رَبَّهُمْ شَرَابًا تَهُورًا And their Rabb will give them an extremely pure thing to drink. إِنَّ هَذَا كَانَ لَهُمْ جَزَاءٌ وَكَانَ سَعْيُهُمْ مَشْكُورًا And Allah will tell these people that this is a reward for you as your effort and striving for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gone appreciated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he is a shakur. He values and appreciates the good deeds of the good doers. He is shakur. He values and appreciates the iman of the mu'mineen. He is a shakur. He values and appreciates the taqwa of the muttaqeen. And all of these bounties and blessings will be done because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen out of his mercy to condescend actually and to accept our acts which are not in any way could never be worthy of accepting to appreciate and value our deeds and our iman which are not really uh, worthy enough for him. So this will be the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can see some have suggested that this is just a list. Others have suggested that this is a progression. Uh, and obviously there is mention here of green and silver and other places there is mention of gold and colors other than green. This is not a limitation but there are so many uh, things over here uh, you know and sometimes uh, some people ask a question that will men be wearing these silver bracelets so it's not a bracelet in this sense uh, that is used in this world uh, because in this world for a man to wear a bracelet is prohibited because he then resembles a woman but in there it will not be so much of a gender thing it will be of a Jannah thing these aren't bracelets. In this world, bracelets are a sign of a woman's femininity and a sign of gender. There, the bracelets, it's almost like today when you go on Hajj, you will wear a band. So, a man today, any man who is inshallah going on Hajj will get a band that your Muslim will give. When you go to the hospital in America, they give you a band as an identification, right? So, in that sense, these silver bands will be, and this will be the mark of the people of Jannah. It's nothing to do with gender, it means these silver bands as bracelets will be worn by both the men and the women. And perhaps the most incredible thing that is mentioned here is that Allah subhanahu wa himself will give a drink. So first you have in the Day of Judgment Sayyidina Rasulullah some giving mu'mineen to drink from the Hawadakothar. And here you have mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa will uh, be giving the Ahli Jannah himself to drink from this pure beverage. Now Allah Ta'ala then shifts and then in another topic from verses 23 onward Allah Ta'ala is talking to the Prophet and there's going to be mention here of dhikr and of Qur'an. إِنَّ نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ تَنْزِيلًا That indeed verily we, yani Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala sent down the Qur'an to you Sayyidina Rasulullah Tanzila has come to you as gradual revelation bit by bit. فَاسْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ وَلَا تُطِئْ مِنْهُمْ آثِمًا أَوْ كَفُورًا That you should remain steadfast on the hukam, the command of your Rabb, Prophet ﷺ and Rasulullah ﷺ, you should never obey minhum from amongst the people you have been sent to. Never listen and follow the Athim, the person who is a sinner from amongst them, O Kafura, or the person who is a devout disbeliever from amongst them. And you should remember the name of your Rabb Allah in the morning and in the evening. <coughs> and you should do sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the night and you should do a tasbih for a long time in the night. Tawila. You should glorify him for a long into the night. In the 
And as for these, indeed these people, they love the ajala, they love what is fleeting, what is flying, what is fading, what is ephemeral, yet in the world. And they leave behind them yawman thaqila, a grave and a weighty day. نَحْنُ خَلَقْنَاهُمْ وَشَدَدْنَا أَسْرَهُمْ And we have created them and we have strengthened their we have created them and we have strengthened their joints. وَإِذَا شِئْنَا بَدَّلْنَا أَمْثَالُهُمْ تَبْدِيلًا And whenever we wish we can replace them with and replace them and substitute them with a people just like them. Yet another community, yet another civilization. In the Hadhi Tadkira, and indeed all of this is certainly an advice and admonishment. And whomsoever wills, he should adopt a Sabil and path towards their Rabb. But you can never ever will and wish any single thing unless Allah wills it for you. And indeed, Allah spawns us all knowing, all wise. So again, this came before. Whoever wants to take a path towards their Rabb, but it's not so easy. They will only be able to take it when they will to take it and Allah Ta'ala wills them to take it. Which means for any amal that we do, we also need tawfiq. For any amal that we do, we also need hidayah. For any step we take in our life, we always need the hidayah of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. But Allah Ta'ala is all-knowing. He knows who sincerely wants it in his breast. He is hakim. He, in his wisdom, he sometimes guides people first without them yet wanting it in his breast. He is Al-Halim, he knows who wills him and wills himself for them. And his Hakim, out of his wisdom, sometimes he wills himself first for someone and then they will himself for him. يُدْخُلُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ And Allah Ta'ala enters and admits whomsoever he will into his mercy. وَالظَّالِمِينَ أَأَنْدَ لَهُمْ أَذَابًا أَلِيمًا And those who are wrongdoers and oppressors and sinners, Allah Ta'ala has prepared for them a very painful punishment. <coughs> Alright, so here ended this surah. This is something that, you know, uh, is very self-explanatory. And these are themes and topics that we cover many times in different bayanat and different lectures. Uh, obviously, uh, it's all about the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all about our taking that advice. So here, first of all, Allah is addressing the unbelievers that they should take iman. And those who have iman, that they should be people of amal. And in every step and every way we need the madad and nusrat and hidayah and help of Allah subhanahu wa Next surah of mursalat. Mursalat means those who were sent or those who were sent forth. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim bismillahirrahmanirrahim wal mursalat urfa. Alright, so what is Allah subhanahu wa is swearing? Wow is baqqasam. So we're going to have one, two, three, four, five qasams. Well, mursilati urfa, fal asifati asfa, wal nashirati nashra, fal farikati farka, fal mulqiyati dhikra. Udran o nudra, innama tu aduna lawaqi. Alright. Here, up to now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by various types. And actually, this is first of all the winds that are set forth. So the different types of winds that Allah Subhanahu sent forth. The first type is well, mursalati urfa, and Allah says by the oath of those winds that are sent forth in succession, one after the other. 
And the notion is that those are winds that are of benefit. Then the second type of wind, فَالْآصِفَاتِ asfa, And Antal says that also Allah takes an oath by those winds that storm tempestually, that blow extremely severely and violently. That is winds that are of, not a benefit, but winds that come as punishment or as test or as trial. <coughs> Third type of wind is Allah swears a oath by those winds that blow and they diffuse and they spread the clouds all over. Fourth, by, uh, sorry, that you can say they disperse the clouds. Uh, they disperse or you can say they move the clouds. And then in number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fal farka and then Allah ta'ala takes an oath by those that differentiate. Some have taken this also to mean then the winds that differentiate or separate between the clouds. There's one type of wind in three that's blowing the clouds. Others have said that no, that this is referring to malaika or to angels uh, who differentiate between what is right and wrong. So again, if you keep it all as winds, then number five is those winds that induce and invite a person to the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They enable that person to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Either by the means of repentance that they turn to Allah ta'ala trying to absolve themselves and excuse themselves and apologize and seek his forgiveness and repent him. Or they come as a warning to that person. So all of this is swearing by the winds. But however, those who say that uh, verse number 4 is not referring to winds but referring to angels, so then it means that number 5 and 6 are also referring to angels. So the angels who have brought the teachings of the zikr and the remembrance and the advice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that leaves no way for people to disbelieve uh, or to deny or to reject what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent. And then Allah says indeed that each and everything that you have been warned about will certainly necessarily take place. And when the light of the stars is extinguished, and when the sky is cleft asunder, split open, rent asunder, and when the mountains will be blown away. Blown away means initially when you have the cleaving of this earth, then the mountains will be blown away like dust, but they may even, you can say they're blown away or blown to smithereens or blown away into dust or sand. And then what will happen is that all of the messengers, and all of, means the Rusul means the messengers, the prophets, the Anbiya, all of them will be, uh, have, will be assembled together at the appointed time. And this is that Ukkitat means from Waqt from an appointed time, a time that has been appointed for settlement between each and every one of them and their communities and rather, the, not their followers, but the communities to which they were sent. Between humanity and the messengers that Allah Ta'ala sent to humanity, those messengers along with that humanity to whom they will be sent will be gathered at an appointed time. The yawmin ujjilat And in what way can... Uh, to what day had to what not way to what day has the matter been postponed to what day can it be put off to right for what day the yom and the all of this has been postponed for the day of judgment means Allah is not going to gather the prophets and the 
human, human commands that were sent to in this world, that appointed time has been deferred till another day. Which day? Leom and Fasl means it means the day of judgment, it means the day of separation, the day of decision, the day of dis- differentiation. And what is it that can tell you what that day of decision, day of distinction, disparate differentiation is? That it is a day that may woe to the falsifiers and deniers and liars on that day. Woe to them means misery and uh, misery and misfortune will be their outcome and their lot on that day. Alright. Here the main uh, purpose of this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling the disbelievers that they shouldn't think that they're not being punished in this world. So Allah ta'ala has chosen to delay it. And the judgment between every prophet and the human community that they're sent to has been deferred. This is the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to that day and that will be a day in which there is no denial, a day in which there is no fling. Alam nuhlakil awwaleen. And Allah says that did we not destroy the first nations, the former nations, the preceding nations, the ancient nations so So similarly we will make those of latter days follow them as well we will join the latter and later generations with the earlier ones this is what Allah does this is what we do with the sinners thus to treat the sinners and may misery woe to them may misery be upon them misfortune, destruction, doom befall the muqaddibin, the falsifiers the liars, the scoffers on that day <coughs> that did we not create you from a ma'an mahin mahin means a insignificant water a abased fluid did we not create you from an abased fluid uh, he says worthless fluid okay abased fluid this is referring to uh, that every human being was initially created from a drop of semen. And then that drop of semen was placed in a secure and safe place, which means the womb of the woman. For a known and appointed, determined, specified period, which is what is called the nine months of gestation. And Allah SWT says, and we determined it, and we are certainly the best of those who determine. We decided and appointed it, and we are the best of the ones who decide. Means if a baby came out after seven months, and sometimes they're premature, less or more would be a problem. Allah has specifically appointed the term of gestation. Again, Allah says that may misery, doom, destruction, misfortune befall all the muqaddabeen, the liars, deniers, falsifiers, scoffers on that day. That have we not made the earth consist of what? Of both those, the earth is a place consisting of a gathering place of both the living and the dead. So you will see that there are living people on this earth and there are lots of dead people buried in this earth. If there's six billion on top of this earth, there are billions and billions of people below the earth. And have we not placed towering mountains on this earth and giving you sweet water to drink? So this is referring to the rivers that flow down from the mountains when you have the melted uh, glacial ice caps on those mountains. May woe, misery, doom, destruction, misfortune be the lot of the deniers, 
on that day. <coughs> so here Allah subhanahu ta'ala is making a simple argument to non-believers to believe in Allah subhanahu ta'ala who brought them forth from nothing and who will bring them onto a day of judgment. One of the signs he mentions here is the water that he has given to drink for them. So water is the essence of life. Not especially a person in the desert can appreciate this. A person in the barren valley like Makkah could appreciate this. And any person on earth can appreciate the uh, the necessity and essence of water in life. So it means that Allah Subhanahu created you and gave you the means to subsist and sustain your life. So what will be said to those people on the Day of Judgment? In talku ilama kuntum bihi that you should now move towards and proceed towards all those things that you were denying. Rush off to what you used to deny. And you should go and erase off and rush off into a triple shade or a triple shadow. And this is a triple shadow or canopy that will provide neither shade nor will it offer shelter, means against the heat. The heat of what? Indeed, it which is the fire of Jahannam, for which a person will have no shade and no avail against the blaze, so the fire of Jahannam throws off sparks, and those sparks are like castles, like castles or like palaces, it is launching off huge, huge, massive fragments of that fire, right? Uh, Jamalatun Sufr as if they are uh, like uh, you can either say a herd of yellow camels. So what does it mean? A massive piece of fire will come on a person almost as if the size as if it is a huge herd of yellowish camels. May woe and misery and doom and destruction be the lot of the Mukaddabin deniers and falsifiers in a day. This will be a day that they will not be able to speak. And they will not be able to offer any excuses. And they will not be permitted in any way, they will not be given idhan to offer any other. They will not be permitted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to offer any of their excuses, reasons, justifications, rationalizations, why they didn't believe, why they didn't practice. Woe, doom, destruction, misfortune be on that day for the people who were liars and falsifiers. This is that day of decision, day of differentiation, day of judgment. And we have gathered all of you and all of the earlier, former, preceding nations. That if any of you have any plot, any device, any mechanism, any scheme, go ahead and scheme it against me, Allah Ta'ala says. And woe and doom and destruction may misery be on the on the deniers and falsifiers and rejectors and scoffers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his Quran and his deen on that day. This place that the kufar will be able to make this triple shade or triple canopy, some say this is coming from the smoke of the fire of Jahannam. So the fire of Jahannam is also letting out such an intense smoke that they will be made to wait in anticipation pending their 
actual manifestation of their judgment and decision to cast them into Jahannam, they will be made to made in the canopy of the smoke of the fire of Jahannam. But once they are under the canopy of its smoke, then the fire of Jahannam will leap out, send sparks to them. But the sparks will be the size of palaces, uh, castles, the sparks will be the size of huge um, palaces and castles and herds of yellow or yellowish camels itself. Right? So it means that the, the punishment and torment they will face even prior to their judgment. So up to verse 40, this was Allah Subhanahu talking about the Muqaddibin. And this line is going to come two, three more times, three more times uh, now. But now Allah is going to mention about the people of Taqwa. But though people of taqwa, the people who were conscientious and aware of Allah subhanahu wa and use that awareness to fear Him as they deserve to be feared and to stay away from sin, they will be in a shade and in uyun, they will be in springs. And they will have fruit of their choice and as their desire. And they will say, eat and drink, yani enjoy. Eat and drink haniyam with all enjoyment and splendor and with all blessings. By means of all of that that you ever used to do. By means of all the deeds and actions that you used to do. And Allah says, indeed, thus do we reward those who do good. Misery and doom and destruction and sorrow be the lot of those who were deniers and falsifiers on that day. And what will, uh, and Allah Ta'ala tells them in this world, So in this world you eat, you enjoy. Eat and enjoy yourselves a little. A little doesn't mean Allah may give them a lot in this world, but kalina means just for a few days few years, eat and enjoy a little in terms of time, innakum mujramun, you are certainly sinners. Here is also, Latul makes it clear to disbelievers then and now, or non-practicing believers then and now, that our lack of belief and lack of practice doesn't mean Allah Ta'ala will take away our blessings in this world. Allah Ta'ala in fact keeps giving those blessings and says to people in this world that you eat and enjoy those blessings and enjoyments but you only have them for a little time and compared to the enjoyments of the Akhirah that you were sacrificing and that it, it's a trivial, infinitesimal, irrelevant amount. Innukum mujrimun, indeed you are sinners. And woe and doom and destruction and misfortune should befall and be the lot of the falsifiers, the deniers. When they are told to make ruku again, salah, third time now I've highlighted to you, salah. When they are told to bow, make ruku, la yarka'un, they refuse to bow. Here ruku is bimana salah. When they are told to pray, they refuse to pray. Ruku can also mean what we say, like bow to the commands of Allah Ta'ala. Right? One is to bow in worship, and one is to bow in obedience. We have this sense in English. So when they are told to bow in worship, they don't bow in worship. When they are told to bow in obedience and submission, la yarkum, they don't bow in obedience and submission. So they are neither worshipful nor are they obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So may misery, woe, doom, destruction be befalling the lot of the muqam, the deniers and falsifiers in the day. 
What narration, what narrative, what message can they believe in? Ba'dahu means after the Qur'an. What narration and narrative could they ever believe in after this? What discourse can they believe after this? Yani the Qur'an. There is nothing worth them believing in. What does it mean? It means once you leave belief in Qur'an, there is nothing you can do after that that has any worth. You say, I don't believe in Qur'an, but I believe in humanism. No worth. You say, I don't believe in Qur'an, but I believe in liberalism. No worth. You say, I don't believe in Qur'an, but I believe in progressive science or technology or materialism or results or empiricism. Nothing has any worth if either person should have iman in Qur'an. Ba'd al-Qur'an, after the Qur'an, other than Qur'an, once they turn their backs on Qur'an, there is nothing else for them to believe in. There is no discourse, no epistemology, nothing that is of any worth or benefit to them once they have cast aside the Qur'an. أَمَّا يَتَسَاءَلُونَ عَنِ النَّبِئِ الْعَظِيمِ الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مُبْتَلِفُونَ كَلَّا سَيَعْنَمُونَ ثُمَّ كَلَّا سَيَعْنَمُونَ صَدَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَظِيمِ This is Surah Al-Nabah. This is the beginning of the 30th Jews. Here on the Spanotan, on the 30th Jews, you're going to find again mainly discussion of Ahkam pertaining to the Day of Judgment. Here the Spantana presented this in a form of a question that what is it that they ask about? Who is the one doing the asking? Again, these Kufar of Quraysh of who are the projectors of the Day of Judgment. And by their asking, it actually means that they're rejecting. And this is also something that we see here in the Quran that asking is not always beneficial. Asking is not always honest. Asking is not always productive. Sometimes a person's asking means doubt, skepticism. Sometimes a person asking actually means disbelief. So when they ask Sayyidina Rasulullah about the Day of Judgment, right? And they're asking the, uh, one another about what the Prophet has brought mention of An-Nabil Adim. So Nabil Adim means the great event, the great day, the great news. So, what does this mean for a deen of Islam? Here, they're not calling it, Allah Ta'ala is calling it Al-Nabil Adim. You will find that today, people who are marketing events, they try to tell you that this is the greatest event. Olympics is the greatest sporting event ever, right? So, when you have a cereal on the box, it says the best, greatest cereal ever made. So, whatever is greatest and best should have the most import. So, actually, Allah Ta'ala is saying in the Quran that the Day of Judgment is the Nabi Al-Azim is the ultimately greatest piece of news ever delivered to humanity that actually there is a day on which they will be judged. This is the most breaking headline. This is the most important news. This is the greatest news. However, they are differing about it. What does it mean that the disbelievers are differing with the mu'mineen about it? Sometimes the disbelievers disagree with themselves about it. Some say there's no life after death. Some of them believe in reincarnation. Some of them have all types of their other views and beliefs about this. And 
some ulama have taken a nabal azim to be nabal to mean the Qur'an al-Karim itself and the Qur'an al-Karim is the greatest revelation ever sent to humanity and again the disbelievers differ about the Qur'an al-Karim and they differ between one another in terms of Jews and Christians regarding that Qur'an al-Karim so Allah says that no indeed certainly verily they will know so Allah is not for negation uh, but it's coming to say that indeed, certainly, uh, they should take heed, they will soon come to know. The second time, then indeed they will come to know, they will need to come to know the truth of what they doubted and questioned. They will come to know about what they disagreed and differed. But only when it happens will their eyes be open to the truth. Only when it actually overcomes them, it will make them understand. So when they are rejecting the Day of Judgment, it is like they are rejecting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's like rejecting His power. So one of the manifestations and power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so is being rejected when they reject the Day of Judgment. So Allah ta'ala then here forth mentions different other of His powers that He has sent down. Lest a person think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have the power to bring about the Day of Judgment. Each and every one of these signs from verses 7 onwards, Allah Ta'ala mentions different signs of His power that He's already put on this earth. Alam najil al That you have we not made an earth as an expansive bedding for you. What does that mean? That the widespread of this earth of somebody, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, some being, is the being who fashioned and spread out this wide, vast earth. So just the vastness and wideness of the earth and that is flat and is between us, that is a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ta'ala. And Allah ta'ala says that we've made mountains pegs or stakes, literally just mountains pegs that they're as if they're holding the ground down. And some have suggested, and I cannot claim to know this, that some have suggested that this is one of the reasons why the gravitational force uh, when the earth spins uh, does not make you and me fly off the earth when the earth spins because the mountains are on the earth. And thus as we created you in pairs, every single thing in this world has been created in pairs. Whether it is first and foremost physical animate creation, the human beings are made in pairs, listen, male and female. And all the animals are made in pairs, those that reproduce. And night and day is a pair, and dark and light is a pair, and positive and negative is a pair, and so many things have been made in pairs. subata. And Allah says, We have made the sleep as a means of rest for you, sleep as a means of rest and restoration for you. So, this is also a sign of Allah subhanahu that we sleep, that we get a chance to rest. And this is one of the first comforts that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in this world that we have. We are not the earth, we are not the mountains, but we sleep. So this actually shows, and you can ask somebody who suffers from insomnia, and somebody who suffers from sleeplessness, what a great blessing and bounty this is of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And, what a, and it's also mentioned at the sign here, that because Allah Ta'ala revives us after we sleep, so in some sense we rehearse through this process of closing our eyes and opening them, the same thing will happen when we close our eyes and open them on the day of resurrection. Sabata here is translated as uh, a means of rest, uh, but literal sabata means cutting off, so it cuts you off from the difficulty and stress and tension and anxiety of this world, and it brings you to another realm, which is the sleep realm, and which is also sometimes the dream realm. And we have made the night a drape for you, a clothing for you. 
This is naturally the human beings fall asleep at night because Allah Ta'ala has made the dark fall of night. Uh, and we have made the day a means of earning livelihood. So the asal natural way to live is that the day is a means of work and obtaining the necessities of life, whether that is agricultural work or that is intellectual work, and the night is a time to sleep. Yes, it does happen that sometimes a person is forced to work at night, especially if that person's work involves people who are otherwise busy during the day at work and they themselves only get free at night, so then a person has to make themselves available to them at the night time. But the Asl Sunnah or Asl Fitriya of Quran and when Islamic societies were organized properly, then the day was a means of livelihood and the night was a libas or a shroud or a drape or a garment that encloaked someone and it was a cloak rather, maybe it's the best way to call it, and cloak someone enabling them to sleep. And we have made seven shidad, kamsham shadid, seven powerful firmaments and skies above you. This can mean the sabah samawat, this can also mean perhaps seven atmospheric levels in this atmosphere. This is also a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we made a bright shining lamp, which means the sun, Allah Ta'ala put the sun in that sky, which is brightly burning and guiding us at all time. And we sent down torrential rains from laden clouds, means we showered down pouring water from clouds that had rain in them. This is the whole concept of, uh, what is it called, precipitation and condensation <laughs> so that by means of that water coming down on the earth that water would enable the earth to push forth and to extract its seeds and its plants and its grains and its vegetables and dense gardens and dense orchards all of that has also been able by the torrential rainfall that Allah sends down so after mentioning all of these signs then Allah subhanahu wa mentions the Day of Judgment. That indeed the Day of Fasl, the Day of Judgment is Mikat. It is, will come at a specific waqt. Its time has been set and appointed. Yom al-Fasl, Fasl means the Day of Decision, the Day of Separation. The day that it will be decided who is true and who is untrue, and the day that the true and the untrue will be separated from one another eternally, that all of humanity will go into Jannah and go into Jahannam. Yoma Afwaja, and this will be the day when the trumpet will be blown into, and then you will see, and then people will come uh, to Allah Subhanahu in droves. Afwaja literally means armies. But it means in groups. Here in the group means number one can be ummah, uh, can be in terms of groups of their anbiya. Group can also mean in terms of pious people and impious people. Groups can also be generational. But every nabi represents a generation in human history. So generations of humanity will be grouped along with their anbiya. abwaba. <coughs> And the sky will be opened up and you will see that the sky has become, uh, will be opened as doors or as abwaab. This Allah subhanahu has mentioned in Surah Furqan that the angels will descend from these different gates or these different doors. And again the mountains will be blown away 
and they will be reduced to dust or be reduced to sand means also that the Sarabha means they will pass away into smithereens as if it was just a mirage so that means all of the land will be flattened and what will happen on the Day of Judgment was that a person will come in front of Allah Ta'ala on such a plane that has no topography, has no elevation, is completely flat and this is also one of the ways that Allah Ta'ala will humble our humanity by bringing them into a completely plain gathering on that Day of Judgment. Verses 21 to 30 Previously the verses were referring to the Day of Judgment and its events. Now Allah subhanahu is going to talk about some of the decisions that will be made on that day and specifically here from verses 21 to 30 there's going to be a description of uh, Jahannam. Inna Jahannam akan mirsalda and it means that indeed Jahannam is a place that is waiting. It was waiting like a predator waits for its prey. You can almost imagine like this that Jahannam is lying in ambush for uh, Jahannam is lying in ambush for the people who were destined destined for the It is an abode and destination for the rebellions. The Mirsad in Arabic is used for the predator who hunts the prey. So Jahannam will be like the predator and the Dhalimeen who are destined with us on the Taghin Ma'aba. So the Taghin or the rebellious and the unrighteous who are destined for there, they will be like the prey of that fire of Jahannam. La fiha ahqaba. And they will live. Taghin is, you know, this notion of Taghut. Taghin is a very strong word. Those are the ones who are at the height of wickedness, the height of disobedience, the height of immodesty, the height of sin, they are known as Taghin. And so for the Taghin, the extremely transgressive, uh, the, re- the rebellious transgressors and oppressors will dwell in that Jannah forever. La bithina fiha ahkaba. They will live in their ahkab hukub. It's plural ahkab means long, one hukub itself. It's an extremely long period of time. So Ahkaba is a plural of that. It means that they will live there for, we would say, eons and eons. That's how we put it in English. They will live there and for ages and ages and ages. Eons and eons and eons. لا يذوقون فيها ولا And they will not be able to taste any coolness in that fire of Jahannam, nor any drink in that fire of Jahannam, إلا except for a boiling water, uh, they will be scalding boiling water and ghasak is that putrid, foul, uh, horrid smelling drink that they will have that is made from the pus and other things that flow out from the burned wounds of the people in Jahannam. These are the two things that they will be able to drink. Jaza'un wifaqa and this is a befitting punishment uh, and a befitting fitting punishment and consequence for what means for all of their false beliefs and their bad deeds and their sins. And indeed they never ever anticipated a hisab means they never believed in a hisab. They were never looking forward to that hisab. They were never preparing for that hisab. They were in ignorance uh, of that hisab. Even though that Hisab had been mentioned to them in the verses of Revelation, but they adamantly falsified, refused, denied, scoffed at the verses of 
Allah Ta'ala's revelation and his signs, Kidaba. So Kadabu Kidaba, that's why I said they adamantly falsified, grossly denied. Al-Ta says, but we have kept a record, meticulously kept a record of each and every single thing. So what does that mean? This is also referring to their book of deeds, that they will have to uh, face uh, the consequences of every little thing they did. فَذُوكُوا So Allah Ta'ala tells them to taste, means to have a taste of the fire of Jahannam. فَلَنَّزِيدَ and Allah says, we will only thing that we will ever give you more of is the punishment. You will not get more of anything good. You will not get any more of any blessings. You will not get anything like that. So when Allah Ta'ala used this word, ahkaba, which is another plural is hukub, the singular is hikab, the, the plural, by saying eons and eons and ages and ages, it means abada, it means forever. But for, it's actually a way where a person can feel forever is beyond our understanding. Ages and ages, eons and eons, you could say instead of saying, it's like saying forever and forever, for ages upon ages upon ages, endlessly upon ages, that is how long they will be in the fire of Jahannam. So the previous verses up to now were for the disbelievers, and now from verses 31 to 40, Allah subhanahu which is the rest of this surah, Allah subhanahu will mention what He has decreed and decided for the believers. That indeed the people of Taqwa have mafaza. Mafaza is also ism zarfzar from Makam, is a place of foes, a place of success, a place of victory, a place of felicity, a place of grace. They will have abodes of felicity. And wa in which there will be gardens and there will be grape orchards. And they will have uh, youthful uh, maidens uh, of atraba of equal age. Uh, and and they will have full to the brim glasses and cups which are filled with sweet beverages for them to eat. What is the age in Jannah? Some people have said that the age of a person in Jannah will be 30. Some have said that the age of men will be 18 and women will be 30. Uh, different rawayat on this uh, age that a person themselves will have of Jannah and the age also that some of these uh, everyone in the sense will be young in Jannah and the age that these young maidens will be of also different rawayat about that. Another feature of Jannah was that they will never ever hear in that Jannah love and kidb, they will never hear any futile, vain, pointless talk and conversation. It means they will hear no nonsense there. Nor will they hear kidb, they will not hear any lies and falsehood. This itself is a great blessing and bounty. It means that not only will they be able to see things that are pure, the only sounds that they will hear that are pure. And it also suggests that if we want to live a life like Jannah on this earth, we have to leave everything that is nonsense and futile and everything that is lying and false. And this is a compensation and a reward that they will have from their Rabb and that is a gift uh, that uh, a, as a gift and a bestowal from their Rabb Hisaba that is ample and that is completely adequate for, that is deserved based on the deeds that they did. Who is their Rabb? 
The Rabb of all of the heavens and the firmaments and the skies will arden on the earth. And every single thing that lies between them. Who is the Rabb? Ar-Rahman. And the Rabb is Ar-Rahman. He is also the all-merciful and the all-compassionate. And they will not, they will be unable to address Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. They will be unable to talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. What does that mean? It means on that day they will not be able to complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. Nor will they be able to ask Allah ta'ala to give them more. So one sense is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them so much that they are rendered speechless. Allah Ta'ala will bestow and grace and reward them so much that they will be beyond words on that day. The important word here was Ata'an. So outwardly, apparently, it may seem that a person is entering into Jannah due to their deeds, but the deeds is not Jannah, is an Ata, is a gift and a bestowal from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. It is nothing that anybody will have earned or that anybody could ultimately deserve. Whatever they get is of the, even Jannat itself is a bestowal and a gift from him. So on that day of judgment, what is going to happen? That all of the angels, all of the malaika, and the ruh, which means Sayyidina Jibreel will all be standing in rows, standing and arranged in rows and ranks, and no one will be able to speak to Allah Taala illa man Rahman, except to Allah Rahman, all merciful Allah Taala allows them to speak. So this is following up on that that everybody will first be speechless. This is everyone, whether they're malaika, anbiya, awliya, ulama, sulaha, everyone will be speechless. Then whomsoever Allah Taala gives idhn gives permission to speak. They will be able to speak and Allah Ta'ala will only let such a person speak that person who speaks correctly, that person who says what is right. And this is the day that is the true day, the day of truth. And whomsoever will should adopt a course or take up a way that will lead them back to their Rabb. Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, we certainly warned you of a punishment that was ever near imminent, inescapable. That this will be the day that every person will see literally is what their two hands sent ahead. It means they will see everything they had earned with their own hands, everything that their two hands had produced. And the unbeliever, the disbeliever, the atheist will say, Ya laytani kuntu turaba. Oh, I wish, oh, would that I were dust. I wish I could not exist. I wish I had faded into, like what I, what the atheist thinks, that they will simply disintegrate into dust in their grave. I wish I was just the dust in my grave that I thought I would be. I wish I was never resurrected the way my Nabi had told me I would be. I wish I was not standing here the way my Allah Ta'ala has raised me to be. I wish I did not have to respond or not, I did not have to answer for all of my deeds on this day in the way Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala has promised me to be. 
So this is their wish that they wish that they would non exist. That they will also sometimes it means the Rab means they wish they were never born. Not just they wish they didn't exist at that moment, they wish they were never ever born, they were never created in the first place, they were never even human beings to begin with. They would rather lose their entire existence then have to face Allah subhanahu on that day of judgment in a state of disbelief and a state of loss. First here, Allah SWT is taking several oaths uh, in Surah Naziyat. Uh, you can translate it those who snatch away, who take away, who pull out, who extract. So first Allah SWT swears by though Allah Ta'ala takes an oath by those angels who harshly extract and pull out the souls it means the souls of the non-believers at the time of uh, at the time of their death so they snatch away or pull out the souls violently and harshly so this is the first oath that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking gharqa means that naziyat means to pull out and extract and gharqan means literally powerfully you can say violently to, it means to wrench it out to extract it in such a way that it is wrenched out or snatched out so here Allah Ta'ala is beginning then the surah by describing the process of death before Allah Ta'ala began with the day of judgment and then afterlife after that jannah and jannah but actually all of qiyamah in a sense starts when a person dies a person's death is the beginning of their journey in the afterlife. So the first angels that are mentioned in the first verse are those who take out the souls of the non-believers. The second are those Now literally it means that those who let loose or untie the knots gently. What does that mean? It means that the souls of the believers are taken out gently the way you imagine if you very delicately untie a knot. Or if you have shoelaces and you pull it and very gently, slowly you take it out. Or how somebody with a delicate thread, a ribbon, very gently unties it. So how they very gent- the second group of angels who gently uh, let loose, even untie, maybe even to gently let loose and untie knots. means they gently draw out and release uh, the souls of the believers. That's the second verse. Third verse was Wasabihati Sabha. Sabihati Sabha means and those who float uh, along. Uh, what does that mean? That those angels who are floating uh, in the. who are floating in the celestial realm, are floating in the angelic realm, and then Fasabihati Sabka, and then they swiftly race. What does that mean? They swiftly come forward uh, and they race ahead. Why? Uh, because they are managing the affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are looking after the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the notion of the angels who are uh, waiting, uh, so to speak, floating, if you will. Some may call it swimming, uh, but it is, they are floating around. But the second 
uh, Allah Ta'ala decrees for them to take a particular soul, then they hasten there and they swiftly race there and they arrange to have Allah Ta'ala's command fulfilled, means they take out that person's soul. So the first five ayat are talking about this. Then Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala moves to Verse number six, what's going to happen on that day of judgment? First, let me explain a little bit that what happens to the rule, where does it go, and what happens at the time of death. So, there's these thing, there's these places called Iliyun and Sijin. So, one view is that the Arwah go to those places, uh, the Arwah, the pious, go to those places in the Akhirah. Another view is that no, the arwah actually goes to the grave. Meanwhile, it remains somewhat suspended until the person's ghusl is done, their kafan is done, their dafan is done, the janazah is prayed before that, and then when everything is done, then the ru is placed back into the grave, right? Uh, where is the ru located? Where is it being drawn out of? So the ru is in the entire body, every single aspect of a person has a ru, and we touched this upon it a little bit in the previous surah, that is some, say, commentators based on the previous surah, that is drawn out bottom up from the tips of the soles of a person's feet until their collarbone, until their halak. Alright. Then here the spontan mentions the day This is the day that the quake will quake or the day that the earth will convulse and then radifa, and then another one will follow it again so there's a notion that there are going to be two massive tremblings some of us have said this refers to the two blowing of the trumpets that the first blast the sounding of the trumpet is like a blast so the first blast that occurs from the trumpet by it being blown into by the angel uh, Israfil that will result in the first quake and then the second blast will be the second time the earth will quake and that will be a day due to the quaking of this earth uh, and that will be a day in which many hearts are trembling are throbbing, are fluttering their hearts will be troubled on that day and their gazes will be cast down in shame and humility over what they used to do also something I explained to you a few days ago in this series that the kufra will be looking down part of that is because of their shame and the disobedience part of them is in their shock and everything that they're seeing around them is an evidence to the truth that they denied so the only way they can they cannot deny the truth because they will be seeing it but they will persist in their denial by trying to look down trying as if by not looking at the reality of that day of judgment somehow they can escape it somehow they can deny it but even though they're looking down it will not save them in any way another meaning is that they're looking down because they're not able to look up at Allah SWT that we did fear just earlier that the mu'mineen will be looking upward gazing at Allah SWT and another meaning they could be looking down just because they are looking down out of shame and disgrace and this is the natural way a person looks when they are in shame and disgrace What does this mean? So then the disbelievers, they will say that will we really be returned back to life or back to our original form? Are we returned to our original state? 
after idha kunna idaman nakhira even after we have become crumbled decayed decomposed bones qalu and they will say tilka idan karratun khasira and in that case if it's the case that we are going to be resurrected and return to our original form so that would be a khasira that would be a tremendous loss so here allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, addressing this to them mockingly and this is what they used to say that will they be returned to their formal states so here on and uh, some have said even this these words will be repeated to them to mock them on that day others have said that no this is something that they used to say mockingly as if mm, it, that they said it mockingly because they were mocking their belief in the day of judgment so now their their words will come back to haunt them innama hiya zajratun wahida and indeed on that day will be one single blast or one single shriek or one single cry one single shout uh, and then what will happen innama hiya faydahum bisahira and then they will all immediately be awakened and present and alerted to the day of judgment it will be instantaneous near instantaneous they will present themselves uh in front of Allah Subhanahu on the day of judgment with one blast and one shout of the trumpet everybody will be gathered on that plane Hal hataq hadith Musa did the story of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam not come to you so here Allah Subhanahu again is comforting Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam by mentioning the life of Musa sallam and other prophets and this has come in many many places in the Quran for different reasons here Allah Ta'ala is going to mention one episode from the life of Sayyidina Musa sallam to comfort the Prophet by telling him how showing him how previous prophets went through similar trials and did suffer and for the believers it is also an exhortation that if they go through any such trial again and challenge of their iman they should uh, have suffer and it's also a sign for the disbelievers that if they choose to be like Fir'aun they will suffer the same fate of Fir'aun inada rabbuhu bil wadil muqaddas dua that when his rabb called upon him yani when his rabb called upon sayyidina musa alayhi salam in this uh, pure uh, when allah subhanahu called him in the pure sacred valley of dua what did allah say idhab ila fir'aun innahu tawa that you should go to fir'aun for he is a deep transgressor and a tyrant and arrogant and you should fakul you should tell him hallaka ila antazakka do you want do you have any desire inclination whatsoever to have tazkiyah antazakka that you wish to be made pure pure of your sin pure of your arrogance purified of your evil and then if you have that tazkiyah wa ahdi wa ahdiyaka ila rabbika fatakhsha then you will be aided that musa sam says it, so that i may guide you for on to your rub and then you may be able to fear him so what you have here is tazkiya hidaya khashiya that first a person has to be stripped away and purified of their arrogance of their nafs of their self of their sins then they have to receive the hidaya and follow it and at the end result after the tazkiya and the hidaya they will have khashiya then they will learn to fear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be in awe and reverence of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is what will bring them unto taqwa and ita'a unto uh, consciousness and obedience to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and then says one saying to Musa showed him the great sign to all of you know we've done this many many times already the signs that uh, Allah subhanahu the story of Sayyidina Musa Islam and the signs that Allah subhanahu gave him so there were two major signs that Allah subhanahu given him number one was the miracle of if you toss the staff it will turn into a serpent and stake and the second one when he put his hand inside of his chest or breast and he took it out it would turn white instantly for all to see so these were the major signs uh, but even though Fir'aun saw this فَكَنْدَبَ وَعَصَى but even then Fir'aun he chose to deny and falsify and disbelieve وَعَصَى and then he chose to disobey and sin ثُمَّ أَنْبَرَ يَسْعَى and then he turned himself away and he spurned his back to Musa Islam uh, and then yes'a, then he hurried uh, and in haste and applied himself to stopping the spread of the message of Musa Fahashara Fanada. And then so Fir'aun, he gathered all of his people, Fanada, and he proclaimed and called out to them, Fakala that indeed I am your Rub, I am your Lord, the Supreme, I am your highest Lord. So then Allah SWT seized him and inflicted upon him the punishment in, uh, in the Akhirah and the punishment of this world. So the punishment in this world, as you know, is drowning and the sabab, when he was drowned, the punishment for that is then the punishment for the Akhirah which is yet to come but that is the punishment of the torment of Jahannam for saying that he was the Rabb. إِنَّ فِي ذَلَكَ لَإِبْرَةً لِمَنْ يَكْشَى Then in all of this incident and story of Sayyidina Musa Islam is an ibra, is a lesson, is an inspiring and story from which a person can learn a lesson for anyone who yaksha, for anyone who has fearful awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here's the story of Sayyidina Musa Islam and the story of Fir'aun we have done several, several times already in Qur'an al-Kareem. All of you should be aware of it. By now, just I mentioned that why did Allah Subhanahu mention this part? But this is one of the earliest revealed ayat about the story of Musa Islam. A lot of the incidents and stories we did were revealed to the Prophet later. So here, all of the the, the only information Allah Subhanahu really gives to the Prophet is that which means that Allah Taala seizes. Uh, with the punishment of the Akhirah in this world so that Sayyidina Sosa can know that those who disbelieve him will face a punishment of Allah SWT. Verses 27-33 Allah SWT is now going to talk about his creation and verse 27 onwards specifically Allah Taala is addressing those who see the creation but don't believe in the day of judgment. And initially for the Prophet not, I mean, I don't want to say to be fair, to understand, but to maybe to understand the process of human disbelief. One of the most difficult things for a human being to believe in is life after death. Imagine a human community who has never heard of such a thing, who doesn't believe in such a thing. So it, this is why it's repeated so much in the Qur'an. Because the Qur'an al-Karim originally was the initial invitation to humanity to believe in life after death. So for those of us who are already believers in that, some may find the Qur'an al-Karim repetitive. I mean, it is certainly repeating itself, but some may not understand. But you have to imagine that these, the Qur'an al-Karim is a book for all of insan, not just for mu'mineen. So those ayat in Qur'an that are addressed to non-mu'mineen are going to repeatedly try to enforce the impact of the reality of Allah, of Akhirah, of Day of Judgment, right? Even if there may be things that mean you 
think we believe in. We certainly believe in it in terms of Imam. But we should also also be moved by these passages because even though we believe in it, we haven't really changed our life uh, you know, in accordance with it. We haven't changed our practices uh, in light of the imminent and impending Day of Judgment. أَأَنْتُمْ أَشَدُّ خَلْقًا Allah Ta'ala says that were you more difficult and harder to create than the sky Banaha Allah Ta'ala created and constructed that sky and Allah Ta'ala raised and elevated literally means the roof of that sky and he proportioned it means there's a limit to the sky that's why we have something called outer space when you cross the sky and the atmosphere you enter outer space so to create humanity is easy and to create the earth uh, from a human perspective, to create a human being would be easy, and to create the entire earth and perfect its creation would be more difficult. And then for, and so because the sky is bigger, and it's a rhetorical question, right? That the sky is bigger. Then Allah Ta'ala, after telling them to gaze at the earth, uh, sorry, to gaze at the sky, then Allah Ta'ala mentions the features in the sky, which is that night is dark and day is clear, uh, so a person can see the alternating features in the sky. Allah Ta'ala made its night dark and brought forth its daylight. Then after that, Allah Ta'ala directed their gaze or attention to another creation which is underneath them. And this is the ard, the, the earth that Allah Ta'ala had spread out uh, for them. And Allah Ta'ala has extracted and drawn out from the earth the water and mar'a, uh, uh, the fodder. Uh, the crops and vegetation and grassland uh, that from which the pasture and grassland which is fodder for the animals that graze upon it. Muljabala al-Saha and then Allah Ta'ala firmly fixed and stationed and anchored the mountains on top of it. All of this was done mata'allikum wale'ana'amikum All of this done was for as benefit uh, and convenience and benefit and bounty for you or humanity and for all of your animals so this was the example that we mentioned of grazing the animals on the pasture and on the grassland so this is the notion of the creation of the sky and the earth this is again Allah Ta'ala calling out to the disbelievers to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if all of this creation was not difficult to make for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so making the dead alive again and resurrecting human beings and having all the events of the Day of Judgment happen, that is not difficult for Allah ta'ala. That being who has the power to make all of this, create all of this, that being can certainly have the power to resurrect humanity on the Day of Judgment. So then again, verses 34 to 41, Allah ta'ala returns to uh, the Day of Judgment and then again mentions that characteristics of Jahannam and Jannah so when the greatest calamity Tama is like a calamity and Kubra is the greatest the most tremendous and greatest calamity happens again this is referring to the day of judgment and on that day, each and every person will recall and remember everything that they did, Masa'a, everything they strove to achieve, every place, they, everything they strove for, every effort that they made. 
And then Jahannam will be brought and made avail- put in the sight for all, will be made manifest and available for everyone to look. Jahannam will be exposed for anyone and everyone to see. And for that person who was a rebellious transgressor, and that person has preferred the life of this world. They preferred that their sa'i, all of their actions and efforts should have been for this world. They were always concerned with the nafa of the dunya, and they weren't interested in the nafa of the akhir, or the nafa of their deen. Indeed, the blazing fire shall be their abode. So this is this notion of akhir al-hayat dunya this is what Sayyidina Rasulullah said, that love for the material world is the source of all error and sin, is the reason why everyone makes mistakes. So this is the preference of dunya over akhirah. And this is also referring to those originally individual kuffar because they don't want to lose their wealth and status. They didn't accept Islam. It can refer to a person today, the secularist who doesn't want to accept deen or follow deen because they're worried what people will say about them or the taunts they will get or the teases they will get. So either we have a they prefer the life of the dunya. They prefer hayat al-dunya. It can also mean those who prefer the comfort of the life of this world rather than focusing on the comfort of the life of the akhirah. Anybody who chose dunya over akhirah, then their akhirah will be an akhirah of jahannam. فَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَنْ نَفْسَ عَنَ الْحَوَى فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَعْوَى And as far as that person who fears and dreads and was terrified their whole life of standing before their Rabb, of coming in front of their Rabb, and because of that fear, نَهَنْ نَفْسَ عَنَ الْحَوَى Then they stopped their nafs from its desires, from its unlawful desires. They prevented their nafs from following their unlawful desires. Then Jannah will be the eternal abode of that person. So what does it mean that the fear of going in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means standing in front of Allah means remembering this day of judgment. So the person who didn't believe in the day of judgment and preferred the life of this world will go into Jahannam. And the person who really believes, so here we get in verse 40 what we meant, that we really believe in the day of judgment when we are afraid of standing before Allah on that day and we take our hisab in this world before our hisab is taken on that day. That is the sign that we are really uh, afraid of that. And that fear has to not just be an emotion, that fear has to translate into action. What action? That a person must stop their nafs from following their unlawful desires. So stop ourselves from the false beliefs, stop ourselves from doing sin, uh, and we must do mujahada on ourselves and make a lot of struggle to do what is righteous, what is pious, what are a'mal is salih. And then if a person does that, then they will be able to enter into the abode of Jannah. The ability to stop the nafs comes from both ilm and amal. One thing is called kuwate ilmiya and one thing is called kuwate amaliya. Both things give a person power against the nafs. 
their knowledge about the deen, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowledge about the Day of Judgment, knowledge that their hisab is going to come, that's their quwwat ilmiyah that comes from the yaqeen and iman and yaqeen and their etiqad. But another quwwah, another strength against the nafs is quwwat amaliyah, is a strength that comes from, to a person on the basis of their a'mal saleh on the basis of their actions. So ilm and amal is what's going to make a person strong enough to stop their nafs. Then from verse 43, what happened was the kuffar of Makkah Makarramah, as we've done many times, he would repeat it. They asked the Prophet when will Qiyamah come? And they were asking mockingly, sarcastically, tauntingly. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yes, That they ask you about the hour when it shall take place. And they ask you about the Day of Judgment, when it is set to happen. So, but how are you to know? That's what I mean. What do you have to do with the reminder of that? For exact, for to your Rabb belongs the knowledge of the end of that time, the end of that term. It's end of, and I mean the end of time is up to your Rabb. Innama anta, you Nabi Yukrimson are what? You're a warner to him who fears it. You're not one who's going to tell the person about when it, it means Day of Judgment. When the Day of Judgment will come, that is known to Allah Ta'ala. Only Allah knows when this world will end. You, Prophet you were a warner to any who is ready to fear it. You're a warner to anybody who already fears it and dreads it. كَأَنَّهُمْ يَوْمَ يَرَوْنَهَا لَمْ and then when the day when they actually see it, it will seem to them, it will appear to them as if they had stayed behind in this world just one evening, one night, or till the next day, till the next morning. means life on that day of judgment, the life that we live will seem so short that everything in life happened, happened so fast. And you will see that even in this world, when something bad happens to you, it happens very quickly. When some disaster happens, some calamity happens, some betrayal happens, it feels to you like it had an instant. When something bad happens, you forget all of the things that led up to the bad. It's all lost in an instant, right? So the same thing is the way a person will feel on the day of judgment, that they will feel as if this entire life, however long they lived in this world, was just as if they lived for one evening and one morning. Next is Surah Abasa. <coughs> Surah Abasa, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Abasa wa tawalla an ja'ahul a'ma. Alright, this background to the Surah is that Sayyidina Rasulullah, and I'm sure all of you know this, Sayyidina Rasulullah was once speaking to the leaders of the Quraysh, and he was trying to explain Deen of Islam and invite them to Iman. And these people included big people in leaders of Quraysh, Abu Jahl, Utbah, Ubay ibn Khalaf and others. And at that time, what happened? So there was a blind sahabi, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Ummim Makhtum, Now, the important thing to note that he was blind, number one, is that he didn't see what the Prophet was doing. He didn't see that there were some, you know, high-level kuffar of Quraysh there. He could not see that, right? Uh, 
Uh, second thing about him being blind is that people who are blind are normally the marginalized of any human community, right? The sidelined, the overlooked, the ignored members of any human community. So these were two things to note about him being blind. He was a Sahaba, means he had already accepted Deen of Islam and he called out to the Prophet and he started asking him a question, right? Uh, and when he started to ask the Prophet because he didn't see who the Prophet was talking to, so Sayyidina was disturbed by this interruption. Now, disturbed by this interruption, that's only natural that you know you to and see the He's one of our own, we can talk to him later. Meanwhile, I have this rare opportunity that these three and even some say other Kufarba there are actually listening. Whether they were hearing or not, obviously we know later they weren't hearing, but at least outwardly they were listening. So Sayyidina Rasulullah felt interrupted. Uh, by Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mukhtum and in any case made niya that he would simply talk to him later so Sayyidina Rasulullah ignored him and the expression on his face uh, which is the first word of this abasa which literally means he frowned uh, the Prophet frowned not let's say personally at him but frowned in terms of because of being interrupted and turned away from him right uh, now again, turning away from him is not something that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar Mukhtum could see because he is blind, but the point is that Sayyidina Susam turned his face away from him. Now, uh, then he continued talking to, uh, you know, the Kufar, and then when the, when, the, when the gathering ended, then these ayat were revealed. And later on, uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah, when he met Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, he greeted him and he said to him that welcome to that person due to whom my Rabb chastised me in this eye of Quran. means he was happy uh, that uh, this is Nabi Akim Samsam's Rahmah, his Rahmatullah He was happy uh, that Allah Ta'ala had reprimanded him for this and he held no grudge in any way. So, first thing to notice about this ayah, uh, about the first word in this ayah, uh, first word in the first ayah in the surah, is that Allah SWT speaks in the third person. Allah SWT doesn't address the Prophet Wasallam. It's that he, he frowned and he turned away because because a blind man came up to him. All right. <coughs> And how do you know that perhaps this person uh, what, what, would have let you know that he might be striving to be pure, he might strive to be purified. So here now Allah SWT switched to the second person. So in this, what Allah SWT is saying is that, first of all, uh, some of us should have said by speaking in the third person, that also is Allah Ta'ala expressing his... Uh, reprimand and Sayyidina Rasulullah after hearing the first two verses because he knew it was about him but Allah Ta'ala always addressed him as you and here Allah Ta'ala is addressing sending the revelation down without an kitab saying he so the Prophet was in, immediately I've done this for you before the Prophet was immediately sorrowed just his feeling at even just the use of the third person made Sayyidina Rasulullah so sad that immediately in the third verse Allah Ta'ala switched and did what we call iltifat and switched from the third person to the second person and then directly addressed the Prophet so first of all comforting the Prophet and saying look it's not that you will never ever be addressed again that was just for two verses it was just for two verses that you weren't being addressed 
then Allah Ta'ala then if you will correct the judgment error of the Prophet so the Prophet did not make any sin or even you could say mistake but Allah Ta'ala is training the Prophet so uh, maybe you can call this the ijtihad of the Prophet so uh, and the Prophet so is ijtihad was simply what we would do look at the greater good that there is a greater good in perhaps working on those kuffar Why did the Prophet prefer them? Well, number one, these were people who were yet to accept Iman. So bringing somebody to Iman is even better than bringing somebody to Amal. And the Sahaba was already Iman, so at the most one could be bringing him to Amal. And it may also be that it is technically against the other of a gathering to interrupt. So maybe Nabi Yaqtim also frowned because he was being interrupted. Uh, third, some ulama have also written that when the Prophet frowned, he allowed himself to frown because he knew Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Ummim Makhtulmanda was blind and would not see that and it would not hurt him. Otherwise Sayyidina never ever frowned at any one of his companions lest they would become hurt. However, Allah Taala's point in this was that because he's a Sahaba, benefiting him is Yaqini. And these are unbelievers so benefiting them is not from the realm of Yaqeen. Second, uh, that even if this person is a blind mu'min, but if he learns the deen, he can be a source of nafa for the world and bring lightness to the world, whereas the people in front of you are already on darkness and are uh, stuck on their darkness. So this is something that we also learn in terms of our usul of dawah, that you can, how do you know, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَأَلَّهُ yazakka. So this is especially in our line of tazkiyah, that you never ever know. Who will accept tazkiyah? So that doesn't mean you can reach everyone, but anybody who walks in your door, to the extent humanly possible, you are duty-bound to talk to them. Because you have no idea that maybe they have come to you with sincerity, maybe they have come to you truly, maybe they are the one, even though some, and especially when outwardly apparently it may seem to you that it may not be a benefit to them, right? But again, this is to the extent that is humanly, humanly possible means to the extent that 24 hours in a day, Allow a person to do this. Oh, ye dhakkaru fatan fa'udhikra. Or he may take heed and admonishment from whatever answer you give him. And uh, that dhakkara or that dhikra that you give, your advice that you will give him, will prove to be beneficial to him. In his case, it wouldn't be bringing him to Imam, but increasing him in his love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or increasing him to his fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then ayah 5 to 10, then Allah Ta'ala gives more detail. Amma manistagna. And as far for that person who is being mustagni, means the one who is being indifferent to you. Right? Fa'antalahu tasadda. And to him you were attending and you occupied yourself with him. Wama alayka Allah yazakka. When there will be no blame on you if he is not purified. What does that mean? That you're not responsible if he doesn't strive to be pure. means he has no intention to be pure. So somebody who has no intention to be pure, there's no blame on you if they don't strive for that tazkiyah, for that purity. Some ulama have said that this also establishes that it's more beneficial to work on Muslims who try to develop their deen as opposed to trying to invite uninterested non-Muslims to Islam. Obviously, if there's a Muslim who's interested, but somebody who has this indifference, uh, then they would fall into the same category as verse number 5. 
As for the one who came to you striving, and the one who came to you striving, and he came to you and all of you, he came to you in all because the Prophet said, that I've been blessed and helped by Allah SWT by having a robe and awe-inspiring nature. But to him you showed indifference and you were inattentive. Net should never be like that. Indeed, this Quran al-Kareem, this message of Quran is a tazkira, is a reminder, is an admonishment, is an advice. So whomsoever desires should take the advice and the remembrance and the heed to take heed from this and this Quran al-Karim is in sacred scriptures that are honored and graced uh, but does this mean that it is not just one sahifa it is loose and plural suhuf because it has the khulasa and asal and haq of all of the previous scriptures Plus it is also in the Lohim Mahfuz, which is Mukarrama, which is the preserved tablet, and it is Marfu Atim Mutahara and it is elevated and pure, means elevated and immaculately pure in Allah Ta'ala's regard, and also Mutahara, immaculately pure and protected from Shaitan and from any and all who would try to forge and fabricate it, Bayadi Safara and by the hands of the scribes. So the scribes can mean number one the angels who inscribed the Allah Mahfuz, or number two it can mean the Katibin Wahi who the Sahaba Ikram who are writing down the Quran or it can also mean the Safar it could be in the various Anbiya even the Prophet who wasn't writing it with the pen but was writing it in his heart and in his memory Kiram and Barala all of these scribes who are honored honorable and upright meaning honorable and righteous verses 17 to 23 after mentioning the attributes of Qur'an, then Allah subhanahu is going to discuss those who are rejecting the Qur'an. So woe to man how ungrateful he is. Man is ruined. Uh, and literally it can mean death to humanity. How ungrateful they are. So doomed or damned or woe to them. How ungrateful is humanity. Min in khalaka. From what did Allah subhanahu wa create him? Means that a person did not bring themselves into creation. They are created by Allah subhanahu wa They should ponder on that, reflect that, and be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa They should reflect that he made them from such a lowly thing. Min nutfatin khalakahu faqandara. We've done this before from a drop of semen that Allah ta'ala made him in due proportion, fashioned his body in his mother's womb, and then brought him into youth and throughout all of the stages of human development and sent risk upon him and then made him a parent eventually. And then Allah Ta'ala may eased and smoothed the way for him by giving him risk in his life, by being his al-razaq. And then Allah Ta'ala will bestow death upon him. And then Allah Ta'ala will put him in a grave, will conceal him or entomb him, will put him in a grave. This is also an honor of Allah Subhanahu wa that we are buried as opposed to just dying, being left abandoned or being left decrepit. But even burial is an aspect of the 
Karam of Allah Subhanahu wa Thumma Ida Shah then Allah Subhanahu wa will resurrect him and raise him up again at will. Kalla Lamma Yaqdima Amara But indeed look that humanity has not done what Allah Ta'ala has commanded him, has not expressed the gratitude that they should have for Allah Subhanahu wa does not have the belief and practice that Allah Subhanahu wa wants him to have. So after mentioning the creation of humanity and that his death, so in this ayah there is a warning that all of the signs and blessings of Allah Subhanahu wa all point towards the need, uh, towards the reality of resurrection. And therefore the need to believe in Allah Ta'ala to follow all of his commands, that humanity should be true to his pledge, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, that they testify that Allah Ta'ala and Allah alone is their Rabb. So then on verses 24 to 32, Allah Ta'ala mentions some of the physical benefits and Allah Ta'ala has given humanity. That let every human being look at the food that Allah SWT has given them. This should be means of gratitude. This is why we also, whenever we eat and we have food, we should look at that in a reflective way so that we become grateful to Allah SWT. And then we poured forth the rain in abundance. And then we caused the earth to split and cleft asunder. فَأَمْبَتْنَا فِيهَا حَبَّةً And then we produced grain therein, yani in the earth. And we produced grapes and herbs or vegetables therein. And then olives and date palms. And then densely populated gardens, or you can say groves and gardens and orchards full of trees. And then fruit and fodder or fruit and vegetation and crop that is used for animals. Same words we had before. All of this is done for your benefit and for the benefit of your animals. When, when your animals benefit or are healthy, that is benefit of you. So all of the sugar that is being called, one of it means verbal gratitude, but it also means gratitude towards through iman and action. To be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by believing in Him and to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by obeying all of His commands. Then in verses number 34, uh, 33 to 42, then Allah Taala is going to mention the Day of Judgment. So when the deafening scream and shriek and deafening noise of the Day of Judgment comes, this will be the day that every person will flee from their brother, and their father, and their mother, or their mother and their father. So for the man this means wife, but it could also have just meant spouse. Wabani and his sons and his children. So this is the state of every person on the day of judgment. That even the family bond, the closest aspect of human relations, will not be of any remembrance to them. Here some ulama mentioned that the first thing Allah Ta'ala mentioned was Akhi. So in some sense a person turns to their brother the most in the time of difficulty. Before they would disturb their mother and father or their spouse and their children, the first person they turn to for help is their brother. Like say the Musa asked Allah Ta'ala to make Sayyidina Hur also a prophet. So this also is an ishara to us how important it is for blood brothers to be close and truly close to one another. Because yes, although on the day of judgment we will flee from our brother, but it's an ishara that the person we turn to the most is our brother, then mother, then father, then spouse, then children. So what will happen? That on that day, each and every single person 
will be uh, will have it will be preoccupied with a predicament that is so much that preoccupies them so much that they will be yogni, they will be oblivious and again indifferent to everyone else. Wujuhi yoma the musfira, but on that day there will be many faces, some faces or many faces that will be glowing and radiant on that day. Musfira means they are glowing and bright and radiant on that day. Zahikutum mustabshira, and they are happy, uh, laughing with delight, laughing and smiling with delight and happiness that day. But on the same time, wujuhi yoma idin alayhi ghabada, and there will be faces that literally will be soiled and dusty on that day. And their faces will be covered with grime and darkness and filth. And these will be the disbelievers and the sinners. So two types of people will be in darkness on that day, whose faces will be darkened on that day. First are those who disbelieve and second are those who are sinners. So this is clear that it's not just a question of Iman, but it's a question of Amal. And if we don't have a proper Amal along with our Iman, then we're in danger that on the Day of Judgment we'll be amongst those whose faces are darkened, and whose, which means those whose hearts are saddened, and means those who will lose out on Allah Subh'ala on that Day of Judgment. May Allah Ta'ala save us from being amongst those, and may He raise us amongst the Muttaqeen, and Mu'mineen and Muslimin and may he make us in this world amongst the Tawabin wa Akhnudawana and Alhamdulillah. you're weak and needy and sinning and hypocritical servants and slaves. Ya Allah, we ask that you put the yakin of Yom Al-Qiyamah in our heart, the yakin of Iman and Yom Al-Qiyamah in our heart. Let every single second of our life go in our favor on that day. Let no act of ours be to our detriment on that day. Let us remember that day every morning. Let us remember that day every night. Let us do our hisab in our ourself in this world before our hisab is taken away from us. Ya Allah, protect us from any and every foul company and peer pressure protect us from the evil of the evildoers the envy of the enviers the harm of those who wish to harm us Ya Allah we ask that you give us a life of aman and itminan a galb of aman and itminan a nafs of aman and itminan Ya grant us a life on deen a life of worship, a life of obedience a life of remembrance Ya Allah take us out of our ghafla Ya Allah, grant us all of the adab and manners Ya Allah let the day of judgment be the happiest day of our life let us be the most joyful day of our life. Include us amongst those whose faces are glowing and radiant. Make us amongst those whose faces are gazing upon you. Make us amongst those who you are gazing upon them smilingly. And they are looking upon you lovingly. Ya Rabbi Karim, save us from all of the punishments of the grave. The torments of that day. The punishments of Jahannam. The torments of Jahannam. Ya Allah, make us amongst the people of Jannah. Grant us that life on earth that will make us amongst the people of Jannah. 
Jannah. Allah, you said in Quran, it is not for enough for us to will, but you also have to will. Allah, we have spent years wanting and willing and wishing to be true to you. Allah, we ask that you decree your will and wish on this day that you wish us to be amongst the true. If you make us amongst the Siddiqeen and Sadiqeen, then surely we will be true. And if, Ya Allah, your wish and will doesn't come, your decree doesn't come, then all of our striving and effort will be for naught. Ya Allah, we ask that you send your karam and fazl upon us, send your rahmah and maghfirah upon us. Ya Allah, make us amongst the true mu'mineen, ibadika salihin, ya alhamdulillahimeen, rabbana takambal minna innaka anta samiul alim, wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabul rahim, wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin